Hi Venters, welcome to another episode of Behind the Decks. This is a Vent music podcast series hosted by me, Freddie Cocker, and presented to you by Vent as part of the Just Checking In podcast. Vent is a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas, and start conversations. In each episode of Behind the Decks, I check in with DJs and producers from the UK and beyond. We talk all about their musical journeys, their artistry, and most importantly, the person behind the decks. My special guest for this episode of Behind the Decks is quite literally a special guest because he is not just a DJ and events promoter, but also my cousin. Joe White is a DJ and promoter and one half of DJ group Social Groove, who will be DJing at the next Just Checking In Live on Saturday, February 24th, so please go get a ticket if you haven't already. Joe has been DJing and running various club nights for almost a decade, and he began life playing and buying drum and bass records on vinyl before meeting his now DJ partner Tommy whilst he was doing his plumbing apprenticeship. At the time, Tommy was playing UK Garage and Funky House, and they bonded over a love of music and began DIYing it to do DJ sets across London. Joe then took a life-informing trip to Ibiza in 2011, and from that moment, not only was his love of all forms of dance music crystallised, but wanted to put on club nights himself. He started a night called Caked, and booked some fairly big names on their bills. He then moved on to try a different night called Ad Hoc, before moving on to another one called Music Club, where they had many sold-out shows, and also a few bad nights and mistakes too. After a hiatus, Joe and Tommy came back together to form Social Groove, where they do DJ sets together, as well as put on their own club nights, which plays largely house music and its various sub-genres. In this episode, we chart his 15-plus year music journey, buying his first pair of decks, drum and bass memories of Nicky Black Market, Andy C, Groove Rider, DJ Hype Goldie and others, as well as the vinyl shop he went to in Gantz Hill in East London, where he bought all of those records at the start. We dive into the memories of the club nights he put on, his dance music awakening and education, and all the highs and lows that go along the way that come with being a music promoter. For Joe's mental health, his difficulties have revolved around his issues with addiction and also his undiagnosed ADHD, which has shaped much of his life. We discuss the impact that the undiagnosed ADHD has had on his education, how teachers and his peers perceived him, and how he found those labels uncomfortable and limiting. Joe is in the process of getting a diagnosis at the moment, and we also explore how many men, largely working-class lads like Joe, who exhibited strong ADHD symptoms in school, were left unchecked, lost, or dismissed for being who they were. The conversation around ADHD has changed a lot since we were both in school, for good, and in some places bad, and we explore where this pendulum has swung too far the other way, and its implications. Whether that's self-diagnosis, trivialization of the condition and how that's impacted men like Joe being able to get a diagnosis at a time when the NHS waiting times are not in a good place. Joe is now doing Movember to raise money for the campaign and generate awareness of addiction issues and we finish by charting his recovery journey, what has worked and not worked for him and a nuanced conversation about sobriety and whether it can truly work for everyone. 
Podcasts like these are the reason I do vent and I'm hugely privileged to share Joe's journey with you listeners, not just to help him, but also as someone who has helped me significantly with the first Just Checking In podcast live show. This is a nice way for me to repay him for that kindness. So get yourself comfy and have a listen as I go behind the decks with my cousin, DJ Joe White. It's been a long time coming, but Joe, welcome to Behind the Decks, mate. Thank you so much for coming on, letting me check in with you. Uh, your journey over here was a pretty uh, fraught and dramatic one, but thank you for coming to the flat to record <laughs> it. How are you, cuz? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Yourself? Yeah, I'm all right. We only saw each other recently, didn't we? Yep, just yep, checking in yep. podcast live show, which I'm very grateful to you for helping to uh, sort out and facilitate yeah, no and arrange. Mate. I'm not going to confuse the listeners by trying to explain our family tree or how we are, <laughs> how we are cousins, because yeah, exactly. that would take us a long time. Yeah. Probably, uh, probably be a different podcast in itself. Yeah, definitely. But we've been uh, building this up for a good while. Yep. I'm very pleased we've managed to get this going. And yep. are you ready to start the show? I am, mate. Let's crack on. Let's start the pod as we always do on Behind the Decks, mate, by talking about your music journey first. So I ask all my DJs and producers on this series this question. Tell me how your love affair with music began, what were some of your favourite records or music idols growing up, and how you first got into DJing? Well, yeah, basically, from a very young age, really, to be fair, I would say around the sort of age of about 11, really, is where I first started thinking to myself, yeah, this is, I'm absolutely besotted by this sort of stuff do you know what I mean and then I had a, a friend of mine Freddie Savile he's older brother at the time yeah I remember Freddie uh, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so yeah, yeah. he was uh, like oh your name's Freddie my yeah name's Freddie. that's yeah. it yeah <laughs> so he's older brother at the time had just bought a pair of belt drive Newmark belt drive turntables they CDJs or vinyl no vinyl vinyl okay. yeah vinyl decks and I was even in Barkingside at the time as you know and Freddie was literally just the road next to me so obviously we was always playing out together and stuff like that and then his brother started collecting records at the time. Wasn't Discogs back then, mate? No, <laughs> mate, no. We was we would get on our pedal bikes and we would drive up to Record Box in Gantzill. No longer there anymore, I discovered yeah, through his research. Yeah, it's gone. Yeah. Yeah, it's Sad. Gone. Uh, that went years ago, mate, that did. But yeah, we'd drive up there most Saturdays, we'd save up our pennies and go and buy records. We'd then go back to Freddie's ass and we'd play them on his brother's decks. And yeah, just sort what of, kind of records are we talking? Well, he, his brother was buying a lot of drum and bass at the time. So um, we're talking Andy C, and, yeah, Nicky Black Market, yeah, 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 all of them. Dylan Groove Jar, Rider, Groove Fabio, Rider, Dillinger, yeah, Goldie, yeah, 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 Skibar, Shabba, all of them. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, so we sort of just followed him. Really, we was buy, I was buying a bit of garage at the time, but yeah, and then we just started mucking about really mm. in his room, doing a bit of beer mixing. Yeah, go around there on a Friday night and just just mix for mm. the evenings. And, and what stuff was it like that. when you first started crate digging and going through all yeah, those boxes? Yeah, I used to love it, man. Finally, and finding it. the one yeah, record, yeah. the one banger. Well, they'd, they'd have they'd have a turntable set up in the shop, and you could put the vinyl one, listen to the turntable through your headphones. Yeah, this is the one. And at the time, I think we was paying about. I want to say anything between that, maybe seven and ten pound of vinyl. That's pretty good to be yeah. fair. Was it for, for twelve inches? For, yeah, yeah, and you'd yeah, get yeah. you'd get double siders. Sometimes mm-hmm. you have a single sider. For the majority of it, you was getting four tracks for that sort of mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think if you could save up your pocket money for the week, and you, I, I would go to school and sell my sandwiches, and I'd just <laughs> mate, I was doing mad. Sorry, stuff. To your mum, she's listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Most of the time, I'd sell them to Freddie Saddle as well. <laughs> <laughs> Lick a bit of dough back on them. Yeah, just save up whatever you could. Sell sweets. I was, I was just hustling. I was just hustling. I was hustling in school, yeah. man. But yeah, that would be like year seven, year eight, and uh, yeah, just save up as much as you could. 
up to the record shop, buy a couple of tunes, mm. and then yeah, just just DJing mm. there. Some of you were MCing as well, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, around the area at the time, we had some MCs. So we're, that was a little bit later on. I'd get, I got my own set of new marks, TT one hundreds, I think they was called. Yeah, and then I started having the boys around to mine then. Mm-hmm. Built like a little mixing desk station in my bedroom. Yeah, just had a few of the local MCs over. And yeah, just used to DJ a couple of local boys that would DJ as well. My ass at the time, where I was living with my mum, was the house where everybody congregated. <laughs> like, my mum would even say it was like the front door was always open, the pedal bikes mm. were always on the drive. That's just how it was. That's mm. how you knew where everybody was, do you know mm. what I mean? Back in them days. And after DMB, a lot of other music scenes were starting to emerge. You yeah. had UK Funky, yeah. you had Grime. Yeah. So how did your music taste change as those genres started to emerge and take hold? Well, at the time, a lot of the boys around my area was emceeing and... That sort of moved me on to the sort of grime scene. Mm-hmm. Then obviously the UK garage along with with the grime. And I sort of left the DMB behind from that moment on, really, I would say. So yeah, I'd always loved garage. Garage was always my go-to, was always my first love. Mm-hmm. Like even when we was playing the DMB, I would pull away and buy garage records as well on the side. It's a garage revival now, mate. Yeah. Quite a few of the DJs. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it was just always yeah, it was just always just playing Garage records, mm. really. And then, yeah, I just suppose I sort of stuck with Garage from then on. A mm-hmm. little bit of UK funky. And then that is where the breeding started there, mate, from, from that moment on. You really. spoke there about getting your first set of decks. And yep. your mum then bought you another pair. Yeah, 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 yeah. For yeah. Christmas. Yeah. Tell me yeah. about that. Because that must have been quite an important moment. Yeah, that was probably where it really started to get. Mm. The love of music was actually. And were they CDJs? Were they no? Old? They were no. still still vinyl decks. Yeah. Still so I had one. Wow. I had my first. That ever... was a lot of cash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, to be fair, there was never Technique twelve tens or anything like that at the right. time. There was always like a, a cheaper option, like the New Marks, or I think I had the first pair I ever had was a pair of Sound Labs, and I think I give fifty quid for them. Off wow. Some, off someone around the area. Yeah, yeah. And that, like I said, that's what started it. And then when I actually got my first pair of brand new decks uh, that my mum bought me for Christmas. That was the Newmark TT100s, I think they were. Belt drives as well. But yeah, and that's just when I started really buying vinyl mm. after that. That was when, you know, I was I just started my apprenticeship, I think, at the time. I was 15, maybe 16. It's quite an untraditional route, really, when you think about young DJs. You were buying vinyl, not CDs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because at the time, I've always been a collector of things. I've always liked collecting as you things. can see, As you can see, mate, in my yeah, flat. exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I always had this dream of a vinyl collection. Mm. Of having- I tried that once and I was like... £35 for this 12-inch I want. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah, exactly. But the prices you pay nowadays (laughs) are absolutely astronomical. We was going into, at the time, HMV, and they was doing free for a tenner. Wow. Because I guess at that point, CD was on the way up. Exactly. Vinyls were seen as being on the way out. Exactly. And at that time, you could get so many good tracks. It was... You would go in, you could get free for a tenner, and they were all top quality presses as well. Mm. They weren't like white labels or anything like that. They were top quality presses. And... Although you didn't get the core of the good music in there, but you could pick up some odd, mm-hmm. some odd good mm-hmm. bits out of there. So yeah, just a bulky collection. You'd go down to HMV, you'd buy the free for a tenner. But the places where you wanted to be was the Rhythm Divisions, mm. the Record Boxes, Nicky Black Market Shop. That's where we was just travelling about, going to all them different mm. shops, basically. Let's fast forward to your semi-professional slash professional DJ career now. So it began, I guess, fully when you met your now DJ partner and yeah, Gio Tommy yeah, yeah, when you were still a young pup 16, yeah, 17 yeah, yeah. he was a bit older than you he was about 24, 25 so yeah. how did you meet and how did the friendship blossom to where it is now? So, so it's a funny one really we worked together at the same company for probably two years before we'd even 
properly cross paths. Mm-hmm. And we bumped into each other in the O2. Do you remember Matter? The club yeah, Matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just crossed paths. Well, for my time, but I know the club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we was, I was in there with my lot and he was in there with his lot. And yeah, we literally bumped into each other. I was like, oh, what's happening, mate? Like, we worked for the same company, but we never really spoke. Yeah. I worked on the plumbing side, he worked on the gas side. I was doing my apprenticeship, he'd already passed out and was working full time for him. So after that, we obviously exchanged numbers, we were messaging each other. And I was like, look, I want to do a bit of gas. Can I jump in with you? So we managed to wangle it in the office that I was in with him. And then once we was together, man, it was just boom. That was it. We knew we was going to be... Just like kindred spirits. Yeah, sort of bro. Yeah. We knew we was going to be close from that moment onwards. And Did you know he was like a music nerd from the jump? Mate, from the jump. Was, mate, yeah, I, I, always, I always knew that he was into his music as well because he'd be banging out the garage in the van. And when, we, when he'd come in in the mornings, he was panelled and banging tunes. And I was like... We need to be mates, do you know what I mean? Mm. I, I knew for, I knew at that point that we was going to be friends and we was going to be friends for a very, very long time. Do you know mm. what I mean? And I would literally class him as one of my best mates. Like, he literally is. Like, we, mm. you know, we speak every day and up till now. Yeah, it's just, mm. it's been a very good long ride with him, mm. especially with all the promotion stuff and so as well. We'll touch on this a little bit later in the pod, mate, but your mum and dad separated when they were, when you were a teenager, yeah. sorry, and that is a really important time for a lot of young men. Yeah, yeah, and he yeah, was yeah. obviously a little bit older than you. He wasn't like 40, 50, but he was like no. 24, 25. Yeah, yeah. Did he feel a male role model point uh, for you? Not, point? not really, because at the time I wasn't, even if it was just uh, aspirational DJing. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah, 100% looked up to him as a DJ and for his musical knowledge and, and even knowledge on artists and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And definitely uh, bounced off each other well with regards to that. I wouldn't say looked up to him as a, as a male role model, but yeah, definitely looked up to him for, for his musical knowledge and how long he'd been DJing and how mm-hmm. good of a DJ he was in general. Mm-hmm. How much did you learn off him at that point? Oh, massive amounts, man. Literally, like because I was just coming into... I just sort of got into the, the music scene at that point. Mm-hmm seriously do you know mm. what I mean where I was avidly buying tunes online now and stuff like that because obviously we was moving away from the vinyl stuff because at this stage I was probably I want to say 17 roughly about that age but yeah mate it was just it was a good time because mm. at the time it was just you know like the house music was just starting to kick off and then both of us was like yeah this is what we want to play but at the time we was looking to go into the underground house music scene that's what we set up our first event around basically mm. yeah this time definitely felt like your uh, DIY era which kind yeah, of feels out considering you were teaching yourself to be a plumber as well. yeah 100% yeah 100% but like I said I'm always taking on projects new things I'm always your mind's going to mind yeah all mate, the time, mate literally yeah. like literally I'm always I have to be doing something I'm always mm. busy with something so. I just watched the Ronnie O'Sullivan film on Amazon and like I I'm, watched that I've yet like, to watch that, that. You, yeah. I know, <laughs> yeah, I know. So a lot of people have said this to me so <laughs> I definitely do need to give it a watch um. I always ask this question on Behind the Decks mate to expose the myths and show the realities of being a producer or a DJ in the scene and that the superstar DJ in air quotes life is only really applicable to a tiny minority of these people in the scene and even when it is it's not all it's cracked up to be as we know so what are some of the realities that you've experienced that you can share with the listeners from a mental health perspective whether it's about work-life balance or relationships friendships anything in between yeah I just at the time I was just so tuned in to going out and Mm. partying and we would go out pretty much every weekend man and we had a very very big rave crew so i would say to a point of maybe like 20 25 of us that was a big group and we would separate to different events and stuff like that but we always had a solid solid group of mates some of them i don't really see that much anymore they'll probably listen to this yeah probably yeah yeah, (laughs) maybe it'll spark a reconnection yeah 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 but yeah like we had a good crew. So there was like a, us, like me and my lot. And then we sort of, 
met up with a few boys from Loughton, mm-hmm. and then we just sort of met. We'd always see each other at the gym, funny enough, and we didn't really like each other at the beginning, <laughs> of, the beginning of the setup. <laughs> we was from, obviously, Barkingside, they was from Loughton, we'd have trouble with them in the God, past. We're really getting into the North East yeah. London yeah, 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 yeah. So, here, yeah, so to be honest with you, we didn't really like each other at the gym, and then we met each other in Ibiza in 2011 on the dance floor of Space Nightclub, and we just all... We just all loved each other, man. And from then on, we just stayed raving together, man. He's mm. a very, very big, very, very loving, very, very, you know... Supportive. Supportive yeah. is the word, yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about Beefer. Yeah. So, it was 2010 when you went for the first time. Well, no, that, 2008. No. 2008 you went was for the, the first time. was the first year I went. I was 17 years old. Wow. Okay, 17 years was, old. We went... I think I was 12 at that point or 13. We <laughs> we went with an 80s to 30s. I don't know if you remember that. No. 80s to 30s was a... Or was it like a... Like a club, travel, club, club yeah, rep, yeah, travel yeah, turner, yeah yeah, 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 package deal. They're not about now. Nope, shut down. No. Hang on. Well, there's no need for them no more, is there? Exactly. No yeah. one goes out. <laughs> yeah, that, that, and I think, and I just think it was just carnage, mate. If I'm honest, mm. the packages were so cheap. The hotels were crap. Yeah, <laughs> but I think the first year we went, someone died in our swimming pool. Jesus yeah, Christ! Yeah, yeah. This is like in between this movie, but yeah, amped mate, up to eleven. Yeah, isn't mate. It? Seriously, 2008. That year we went on our second day. We was there. We woke up in the morning to flashing lights out the window. And then we spoke to the club the next day and supposedly tried to jump in or dive or do something. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah, smashed his head on the side of the pole and sunk to the and bottom. no one No came... one knew. No one knew. Jesus Christ. They come out and got him the next day, supposedly. Wow. That is or the next, that or is the next morning, yeah. Well, let's let's talk about the uh, the lighter side of that trip then. Yeah, Because yeah, it feels yeah. like a very big moment for you. And you, that you was spoke massive. about it as that was massive, yeah. this kind of awakening in you yeah, for your definitely. music education. Tell me about that. Yeah, I just fell in love with that island, man. Period. Like, at that time, it was so good as well. I've never been, and I feel like if I went now, it would almost got, be... You've got to go, mate. You have to go. I say it to everybody that has never been, but... Is it not quite VIP culture now? Yeah, sort of it has been overrun, mate. I'll yeah. be honest with you. Last time I went was three years ago for my cousin Stagdo. We had an amazing time, don't get me mm. wrong. But the it, vibe was different. Yeah, it is mm. different, man. It is different compared to the vibe in sort of like you know I was only young in two thousand eight, then I went again in two thousand nine. But then two thousand eleven was the year for me, really, mm. whereby it just blew up. I feel yeah. like that was just on the precipice of social media going yes really big yes, but also maybe you still had quite the old school scene at there. At the time, at the time, we still had internet cafes there. Wow. We still yeah, had a neck yeah. office where you could log on, email people and stuff like that. And people wasn't really using their phones for... No, no, they that, weren't. That no, sort no. of stuff. I think at the time... I used to, mate, and I used to check the football scores <laughs> when I was yeah. on my dad. He's like, internet cafe, check the scores, yeah, then go. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I just think that that was the era, man. Like From 2000, everyone says it now, from 2010 to 2014 was just the best for music really man yeah. especially on the island as well yeah. with Ivo, Ivo. that period coincided when I went to uni in 2012 and it felt for me as well like a very much a great era for house music particularly you know I lived through the emergence of like Disclosure Bondax Karma Kid yeah. Blonde all that sort of stuff I felt like that was a really good coincidence for me coming in like I really enjoyed that music education that yeah. I started with yeah. I wasn't like coming in when like Breakbeat was really yeah, big I yeah, wasn't coming yeah, in yeah. when it's now it's kind of just regurgitated sort of house music I guess yeah, yeah, yeah. so how did it feel for you in that moment it just it was knowing like, what you would listen to previously yeah, what you were listening to because now. at that time I was straight into the house music then mm. because it wasn't really a garage orientated no, place I'd be so it was all house music like a bit of techno a little bit of techno clubs. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. That was just the birth of the underground music scene, really, I would say. The deep house, if you want to mm. call it, the underground house music. 
Probably when MK um, was really well, MK was yeah. really really big then. Jamie yeah. Jones. Well, at the time, we was we was more underground. Like, we was listening to people like Ricardo. We was oh to yeah, people like yeah. RPR. We was listening to people like Teeny and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And at the time, we was following the DJs because we mm-hmm. was like we went to off Sonar at the time as mm-hmm. well. So we was we was following Teeny about quite a lot. To be fair, she was playing a lot of underground techie stuff. What do you think about Tech House now? I feel like it um, all sounds yeah, it all pretty much sounds the same. Yeah. I've sort of moved on from that now. I'm, mm. I'm back with the vocal house now. Man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Vocal house and gospel house are my favourite floor and, plan every and, day and, of the week, and mate. And garage, and yeah. garage again. So he's, he's like, he's done a full 360, really. But mm. but yeah, no, like I've always said, I'd love to have a retirement place in Ibiza. I'd love to live there. A friend of mine does live there from back in the day, work called Jamie. He just up sticks, went over there, and he's a full-time DJ over there. Oh, wow. Yeah, doing really well, to be fair. So yeah, man. Ideally, I would love to be able to have a place there at least, or mm-hmm. or or be able to visit it more frequently throughout mm-hmm. the year. I'd like to do it in the winter as well because it's supposed to be really nice to go in the winter. After really? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Because you still get some nice days over there. Right. And it's really quiet. It's so, so of course quiet. it is. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Well, not for the music scene, just to go and admire the place. Basically, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. the island is beautiful, mate. It really is. Mm. It really is. You took that music awakening and you started to put on your own nights. Yep. So when we got back 2011 when we got back yep. from Ibiza, me and Tommy, we just said we enjoyed that trip so much that we was like, we need to carry this on. And the one you started with was called yep. was Caked. Caked, yep. K A K E D. Yeah. Most people get the. Most <laughs> Phonetically, S A, say it, mate. <laughs> most people get the pronunciation wrong on that one. Yeah. We've had cacked. Cacked. <laughs> you just got to think, how would you say it in East London accent? Yeah. yeah. Caked. Yeah. There yeah. you go. What was your goal with it or for it? We didn't have a goal, mate, at all. Was that and, just fly yeah. by the seat of your pants sort of time? Yep. Yeah. Exactly that. It actually started off, our first ever party was called Decorum. That was caked originally. And then me and Tommy had a message from someone. I think it was just kicking off on social media at the time. We had just started with Instagram, I think. Mm-hmm. It might have been Twitter. I can't remember. There was a party. I think, if I remember rightly, it was either it was either up north or it was somewhere far away. But also called Decorum. Also called Decorum. Oh, well, they trademarked it or something. I don't know. I'm not too oh, sure. Right. But they had a bigger following than us. And they had been going a long time. And we just thought, do you know what? It is what it is. We'll think of saying else. Yeah. So we'd done that first party. Uh, in Macbeth's that was in Shoreditch oh yeah, yeah they're still going yeah, there yeah, they're still yeah, going there yeah Macbeth's in Shoreditch 300 cap I think yeah, yeah. yeah had a good party in there to be fair it was pretty busy and then following on from that we started Caked and that's where it went with that but the Caked was always underground house music mm. you were getting did. some pretty big names on the bill mate we've got, Sam we're, Bangura being one example Sam Bangura Harry McKenna East End Dubs you can't big East End Dubs is now mate mm. absolutely massive that uh, feel quite surreal at the time to be able to secure those names at the time we didn't even realise we didn't realise really? how big because these people was just obviously starting off on their musical journey oh okay Dale right. Muzzy a good friend of mine who's also now part of North South which is mm-hmm. Bangura and Harry McKenna and himself so we had them playing for us Christian AB do you know Christian no He's a massive DJ on the underground house music scene now. Playing with some big, big hitters. Like, a lot of people playing his music big. Like, Ricardo. All these big people mm. playing his music and that. Solomon probably playing his music. Yeah, he's, well, he's he's literally... He's a full-time DJ as well now. So he, that's his life. James Dexter. Me and Tommy have been following James Dexter for a while. Buying a lot of his stuff. But yeah, these, all these people are massive now, mate. Massive mm. DJs now. Yeah. A highlight of Kate was... Selling out back-to-back nights at Cargo, Cargo which is a pretty yeah. big achievement because I think that's a, yeah. what, 900 cap? Yeah, I think he's 900 caps yeah. on them lines. We had room one and room two. 
Jeez, yeah, that's yeah, a pretty good achievement. Yeah, yeah, hit bar spend in the first four or five hours. That's a committed set of minutes yeah, to the yeah, session. Yeah, yeah, mate. <laughs> that's fucking side lot yeah, straight up. Yeah, mate. yeah, yeah. That literally was, man. We was worried about that at the beginning, and then we both looked at each other and went, "All of our mates are pissheads, man. We, we ain't gonna struggle." With I think we ended up doing about twelve grand behind the bar. Wow. On our first party, yeah. Was Freddie at that? Was Freddie? Yeah, at that he was there, man. Did you go, mate? Yeah. Remember when we were doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fred, do you remember those days, mate? Yeah, with the belt, yeah. with the belt decks. Yeah, man. So they invited us back for another one. I think we ended up doing three parties in there, two or three parties, mm. I can't remember. But then we sort of settled at River Factory, mate. That was our home, man. Well, did you go to 93 feet east before that? Uh, or after? I'm trying to remember the timeline now. I've got down 93 feet east first, and then you moved You could to be River right. Factory. You could be right. Or it could be the other way around. Because Zaki was a big influence Zaki, yeah, Zaki. Shout yeah. out Zaki, man. Yeah. He took us in, let us do our parties there, and... Yeah, man. We just sort of built it from there. We had Eastern Dubs playing for us there. Mm-hmm. We had Georgia Gill playing for us there. We had Harry McCann playing for us there. Aston, work with Danny Chaos at the time. Yeah, we had, we had loads of DJs mm. playing for us there, man. After Cape, you then moved on and you started a night called Ad Hoc. Yep. So the definition of Ad Hoc literally means improvise. Did yep. it feel like that? It was. Doing- what we tried to do with that one was just bring sort of low-end DJs that was just sort of coming through. When we was doing the cakes, obviously we was doing good parties and that, but we did take a couple of big hits. If you've got big venues, if you've yeah, got, if you don't yeah, we had, we, had, we had yeah. one at Trapeze. you know Trapeze? Mm, sure it, mm. We had one at Trapeze basement, mate, and I think 10 people turned up, mate. We, like, we lost a lot of money on that party. And we had Dan Farzarelli play for us on that one as well, which was another big name. But he was coming through the fuse scene at the mm. time. What did you learn from it? That it ain't all about booking headliners. Mm. Just because you're booking a headliner doesn't necessarily mean you'll sell out the party. Just yeah. that party there, it was a lot of other, like two other parties. that We had one on a rooftop in Dalston that they hit us with a decibel limit a week before the party. <laughs> and we went up and listened to the, and mate, you could talk over the, over the, mm. how loud it was. And mm. we was like, right, we've got to pull the plug on that. Mm. We'd already paid for deposits and stuff like that so people don't see do they when they it don't see all this no, they, they don't see all this they don't see the anxiety behind worrying about we had we had another one where we booked Arapu who was a Romanian DJ on the underground house scene for Kate and he missed his flight in the morning oh my god <laughs> So we was rushing. You literally can't control Mate, that, can you? Can't, you can't control yeah. it. He's rung me, oh man, I've missed the flight. I was like, oh shit, what are we going to do here? The only flight we could get him was to Luton. So I had to drive to Luton and pick him up. Oh my God. On the day of the party, this is, bearing in mind. So what time was his flight? So his flight was supposed to be 8am or 9am, whatever it was supposed right. to be coming in. And he was supposed to land at 10. The party was starting at 2. No problem. Because we didn't have the funds to be able to put him up for two nights. Of course, yeah. So we yeah, flew yeah. him in, put him up for the night of the party and then flew him out yes, the next day. Yeah, 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 yeah hindsight you should have definitely booked on the day before and paid right. the extra but obviously at the time we didn't have the money and he missed his flight and I had to drive to Luton to pick him up wow and bring him back to we always put him up in uh, Hoxton Hotel like a nice yep. hotel yeah. literally flew him straight into there shower change get your stuff together it's then like chaperoning quick yeah, get yeah, the fuck yeah. out the door took him for a bit of dinner and then straight to the vi- a bit of lunch and then straight to the you probably weren't even present at that point were you? when you were eating dinner you are probably just thinking like, yeah, mate, just, I, yeah, 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 just looking yeah, at the yeah, watch just looking at the time yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah just need to get him across to the venue yeah that was 93 feet east that one but we packed that one out man that was a good party I always find that with especially when I'm booking bands and DJs it's as much about how good they are and how well, I get on with them because that's a oh, massive massively. thing. We've but never, all, had, we've yeah. never had a DJ that we never got on with. True, yeah. Uh, yeah. As far as I can remember, we never had no arrogant ones or no mm. arseholes or anything mm. like that. Um, I think it's also as well as much about their engaged following because they could have ten k. You think, oh, they'll be they'll, they'll bring be, the numbers, yeah. and you actually got about they've got about thirty people that actually follow yeah, them. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Thirty diehard fans. Exactly. Especially exactly. when we was flying people over. 
We was, yes. We flew Malingeni over, who was part of Mandar at the time. I don't know if they're still going now, but our hospitality towards them was always over the top. They would send us riders. East End Dubs had a rider. They had a rider. Arapu had a rider. So you just, as long as you abided by what they wanted, mm-hmm. set everything up nice for them, you know, supplied the drinks, <laughs> everything <laughs> like that. You know, we boys put them up in a good hotel. So, you know, they, they had no reason to to not be friendly with us. Act out. Act out and be arseholes. Yeah, so maybe just because our hospitality was always over the top, maybe that is why we got treated nicely. Do you know what I mean? I don't know, but I can imagine some of them are arseholes if their needs wasn't there. Do you see what I'm saying? I I can kind of get the vibe where you look at an artist and they'll be like, nice to someone above them. They won't be nice to someone below them. them, I stay clear of those ones. Yeah, yeah. Well, clearly. Yeah, yeah. Was the different night a reflection of your evolution as... Promoters or more is your music taste? Music taste, okay. I would say. And also, just booking DJs that wasn't that expensive because we was doing a free party. Yeah. We was doing a free party. We, we oh, made you didn't charge tickets? No, we made ad hoc a free party. It was more of a showcase for music. That's what right. we were trying to do. So it was like a night we had of music like nerds, Fraser basically. Campbell playing on, yeah. on there for us. And who else? We had Neil Catlin. Is it Fraser Campbell from Hot Creations? No, I'm thinking of Miguel no, Campbell. You're sorry. Miguel Campbell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is, he's a big DJ. DJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I always say you've got to know the difference between MJ Cole, My Jane Cole. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. One's Underground House, one's Garage. Z by Z. But yeah, so we were just booking people at Neil Catlin, Fraser Campbell, people like that. And where it was just sort of a couple of hundred quid mm. as opposed to a couple of thousand quid. Mm. I think the most expensive booking we done was East End Dubs. I think we paid, or it might have been Malingeni actually. I can't remember. I'll have to speak to Tommy about that. But we paid, I think, 1,500 quid for him at the time. That's a big risk, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Lucky we had Zaki on, on board of us. And we always, Riven Factory always had good walk-up as well. So you knew, Oh, okay. So you knew you was safe because Zaki had built no around. shows could go right okay we can get yeah, some guts to yeah, turn up on yeah, the door yeah, yeah. yeah fly her outside for a little bit pull mm, people in do you mm. know what I mean so Zaki had built a good thing there so we was always pretty safe and at times we had room one and room two we'd done a couple of marathon day after parties there as well they was always good what was in London marathon London marathon oh yeah. wow yeah, 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 yeah. there must be some tired legs in there yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, everyone in there with their Serious medals. ravers there to yeah, do a London yeah, Marathon yeah. and do a sesh afterwards. Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you, are, you also did a, a night in a place called Corner Shop Bar. Corner Shop Bar. Yeah, tell yeah, me about yeah, that. Yeah, so that Hopefully was... that was just a boss man, was it? No, 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 no. So Corner Shop, yeah, Corner Shop was ad hoc. So that was where we kept it. It was a nice little basement venue. We've done no door price and they just give us a percentage of the bar. That's unheard of, really. It is nowadays. Yeah. Back in them days, it weren't. We, really? got, we got a percentage of the bar at Cargo. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. wouldn't happen now. No, you wouldn't get that now, no. You yeah, because that to fuck off pretty yeah, quickly. Yeah, because, if you ask the bar because now. it was, I think it was something like over eight grand. I think the minimum spend was like four. Over eight, you got a percentage. Over 10, you got a percentage. Over 15, you got a percentage. Right, depending okay. on how much they take. tiered, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. T- depending on how much they took on a day. But yeah, going back to the corner shop thing. Yeah, we run ad hoc for probably like, I want to say five or six parties maybe mm-hmm. in there. And it was just basically a free party just for our mates to have a that's all we've done that one for really and just to showcase a few other DJs basically mm. you then moved on to a, a third night called Music Club yep. so how did ad hoc evolve into this because the latter feels maybe a more inclusive name for music fans 100% is that the goal exactly yeah. that exactly that yeah we wanted to move back to the disco funky housey little bit of garagey more vocal house. what I'm expecting at the, exactly, the event show exactly mate. that and that's what we've stayed with now yeah, yeah basically yeah yeah so we teamed up me Tommy boy called Joe Vano and my mate Josh 
And yeah, man, we had some good parties in there. We had some really mm. good parties in there. Booking people like Junior Windross, a bit more of that uplifting mm-hmm. vocally. Like floor plan, if you're going to yeah, compare yeah, it to. Yeah, yeah, yeah DJ yeah, Spen yeah, and yeah, all them yeah. charisma. So, yeah, yeah. So, and I reckon we've done four parties in there, four or five parties. In all there. at Shoreditch Platform? All at Shoreditch Platform. Yeah. Mm. Which is a fairly well, significant venue because it's got an upstairs and a downstairs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We just had the upstairs every time. Yeah. What's that, 400 cap? Oh, what was that? I want to say. 300 yeah 300, yeah it's about that isn't it 300 yeah, 400 yeah, yeah yeah but we always had good parties in them and always mm. had them bang that and then we sort of just stopped after that really mate we, it was just getting too much of work and like, it was just too much of a commitment like, I mean I do two a year and that's a lot mate yeah mean? we was doing like four or five a year yeah it's a literally. lot because it's, yeah. it's the build up it's the run up yeah. it's the, yeah. do you know what it is like I always describe it to people like the actual sorting out on the night probably takes me a couple of weeks to sort the lineup out and get everyone agreed fees yeah. and everything yeah Everything else is marketing. Yeah, yeah, literally yeah. punting it out. And at the time, I wouldn't say music club and ad hoc. Very first ones we caked was flyering. Yeah, we was flyering still. So you know, it was getting posters made up, putting posters out there. Me and Tommy would do everything. We we was getting bits of wood, spray painting cake logos on them, sticking them all around Shoreditch. We we just went on the map. You those right people now. putting the flies up around Green Man? Yeah, we see those old school yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah, we we was just <laughs> like, doing like this feels yeah. like a poster from 1998. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We was. <laughs> We was just doing everything, man, at the time, as much as we could do to get people into to the party. Mm. We're going to talk about this later in the pop in your mental health journey, but how much of the evolution was also a byproduct of, say, some undiagnosed ADHD symptoms, the like whole, itchy feet? The whole thing, man. Whole thing? The whole thing. Really? I just can't sit still, man. I've never been able you to You need sit always still. a new idea all the time. I have a new idea. I have to... Ca- yeah, it's just... Thinking about it now, Tommy jokes about it, still jokes about it now. He went, mate, you're nuts, mate. You're actually a nutter. <laughs> I, I don't know how you, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't sleep. I just constantly, I'm constantly on things. Do you know what mm. I mean? No. Can you ever switch off with, with the music? No, no. No. no, I could, yeah, with the music I can, but I think with a lot of day to day life stuff, I struggle to switch off. Mm. I really do. I struggle uh, to concentrate as well, man, because I've got so much going on in here. Yeah. That it's just whoop, 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 flying about all the time. So you're clearly not someone who doesn't like change. No, I have to have change. Yeah, I have to. I can adapt to change quickly, but I don't like the process of change. Right, you know what okay, I mean? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. See, I have to have change. It has to be refreshing to me. It has mm. to be something that, oh, that's new. I'll enjoy that. Do you know what I mean? I've so. spoken to so many artists and producers who either have ADHD diagnosed or undiagnosed or symptoms of it. And yeah. I've always been fascinated by the relationship between ADHD and creativity and artistry. Like, yeah, how do yeah. you view it? I would definitely say you have more ideas. Mm. I would definitely say that you've got a lot more. It's just getting them ideas onto paper. Yes, for people yeah, with ADHD, yeah. it's a struggle. That creative to, splurge, isn't it? Mate, yeah. It's just like one minute you can be so proactive with just idea. Oh my god, this I've got this idea for this and this, this and this will go together. Mm. And then the next day, the whole lot goes, and you just crash and burn. You just can't be bothered to do any of that. What you just what you spoke about the day before. It's a slog to try and pick it back up again and keep it moving. Mm. But that's why me and Tommy always work well together because I was f- throwing the ideas at him. And he's like... And he's just... He's the buffer. Me. He's yeah, leveling yeah. me out. He's you know the I mean? bulwark. That's shit. That's good. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, yeah. We'll take that. that. We'll yeah. take that. We'll put them together. <laughs> yeah, I'm throwing the ideas at him and he's obviously just leveling me out. You know? What's that game like they do on like game shows where they have to tap all the buttons at that's the same it. time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. You're like, doing that yeah. and Tommy's going, no, yeah, no, I'll grab that, I'll grab that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you then, man. as you said, took a bit of a hiatus after Music Club and yeah. you became just music fans again. For me, Tommy has always been a DJ. I sort of stopped DJ and become a promoter at that point when we started with Kate. And I think I only ever played for Kate two or three times because I wasn't confident in my DJing skills. I wasn't confident. Why? I don't know. I've just... 
Uh, I don't really know. I think maybe moving through onto the CDJs. And I was never ever that good of a DJ, do you know what I mean? I was I was okay. I, was, I could mix on vinyl. I still can mix on vinyl, but it was I don't know really. Was I it a reflection just, of your mental health state at the time or not? No, I think just because okay. of the stress okay. of doing a party, you just so, couldn't be bothered to have that extra and stress. had yeah, the extra yeah, stress yeah. of having to set plan mm. practice. Mm. Tommy was a good DJ from the get go. He didn't need to practice. He would set plan, but there was only two of us running this event. We never ever had any other. So help. you had to do the division of labour, really, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. So I would say I was more doing the promotional side of things than the actual DJ side of things. Don't get me wrong, I played at Cape, uh, I played at sorry River Factory a couple of times. I played at the Cargo's ones that we'd done, but it was never a serious thing at that time for me. It was mm. more the event that I was worried about. So, so you I was always, always playing sort of warm up sets and like always. maybe now my style, my style of music that I was playing at the time was always warm up music. Right, it was very chill, deep, not a lot of vocals. So. I was playing warm-up sets, mm-hmm. partly because of the fact that that's the music I liked and partly because of the fact that I didn't feel that I was good enough mm-hmm. to play a headline set, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean, or anything like that. Do you feel like you're at that point now? No, I wouldn't, I, I'm a lot better, I'm a lot better than I am, but I still look at Tommy in awe, mate, of how he mixes and stuff, and I just mm-hmm. think, man, this, this geezer, he, he should be so much further in the DJ scene, man, because I just feel like he's one of the best DJs I've seen. I'm being genuinely honest. His mixing ability far outweighs how much that he gets booked to play out. Now, he is obviously, he's just got a big book in with forward motion. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, 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 so they've just released uh, his plan on for them end of January. Massive, massive book in. So I began hitting up with him. So yeah, hopefully this year really starts getting the recognition that he deserves, mm. do you know what I mean? Because he really is that good, man. We do back-to-back really well, man. We do pick up on each other. We've been doing a lot of private parties, 30ths anniversaries, weddings, whatever, stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? We've quite done quite a few of them last year and we've been playing back-to-back with them and we go back-to-back well, man. Mm. We really do. You spoke about DJing there. What impact does it have on your mental health when you're DJing? Is it escapism in that moment? Yeah, or is it just, are you still stressed? And- no, that is the only thing that I turn off with. Because all I'm you're like, just so much like Ronnie, mate. Yeah, he is just, like, so when he plays snooker, he can yeah, switch off and you're actually only, like... The yeah. only thing that stops my brain is mixing, Literally. Because you're so co- you're concentrating on what you're doing. You're not. You're hyper focusing at that yeah, point. 100%, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. You're not focusing on anything else, and that is the only time where my brain is silent. Where I've got no other stuff going on it. All I'm thinking is putting that tune with that tune and mixing it properly. Is it one of those as well where something might try and come in and it just and you can bat it away? Nothing. Just nothing. nothing. Okay. I get nothing, mate. It's the weirdest thing ever. I can't explain it to anybody. There's a, a nice sort of contradiction whereby you've got all this sound going on externally, yeah. but there's no sound going here. Yeah, yeah. Or negative sound, yeah, should I say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just It's nothing. peace, it's tranquility. It's just peace, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just, and I think that's why I've picked it up again recently, because my ADHD did get so out of control, and the... The it, noise. It was, the, yeah. the, the, the noise, mate, it was getting so hard to live with, man. And that is why I think, that is why I picked it back up again. Because when I realised that, you know what, this is the only thing that gives me peace, is when I mix it in. I mm. wanted to mix more. I wanted to play out more. I wanted to mix more. And yeah. What about listening to music? I listen to music constantly in the car, but indoors, I oh, don't listen to music at all, really. Okay. Yeah. It's just, it's so it's strange. always when you're doing something else that you have it on? Like a and chore? A, and a strange or... thing, I can't listen to music at work. I can't when I'm doing tire. I can listen to a podcast, but not, no, not see, music. I, can't. I just can't have... Because you need to concentrate, though, don't yeah, you? Yeah, unless yeah. I've got something that is very, very straightforward, right? easy to do. If I'm having to think... I can't have music on. No, because it's a distraction, yeah, it's isn't a it? Distraction. It's like when you're in yeah. school and you're doing something and you write the same line twice and you're like, yeah. oh, I'm not 
yeah, oh, my yeah, concentration's yeah. gone here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's reflect on your music journey, mate. So, yeah. doing it all the time you have from DJing in your mum's house with yeah. DJ belts and bloody yeah. Nicky Black Market records and all yeah. that to club promoting, yeah. various club nights yeah. and getting back to DJing properly. Yeah. What has it taught you about yourself? Uh, I've never really thought of that to be honest with me. <laughs> this is why we do yeah, this podcast, yeah. mate. Do you know what? Um, I suppose just that I was a very social person. I was always out if we weren't DJing or putting a, a promotion on, we was at somebody's promotion. We was at mm. another club. We was at another rave. We was mm. always, we was at Friday to Sunday every weekend, most Yeah, weekends, you weren't you right? clubbers, you were ravers. Yeah, yeah, yeah we yeah. was like full That's on. That's the difference. Yeah, we was full on, man. And I suppose just that we had a very good network around us, a very good amount of friends, a very good amount. Of, you could always grab someone if you wanted to hit mm. a party. You could always say, oh, this so-and-so's playing this weekend. You someone get, was up, and someone was up for it. Yeah, yeah. And it always always be two or three of you that you'd be able to pull together do you know mm. what I mean so yeah I would I would just say the social side of things man I could always pull a crowd mm. I was always very likeable I was always very friendly to every you know treat people as you want to be treated you mm. know like you know mm. and we was always very good to DJs they was always good back to us and I think we just built up a good profile really yeah I feel like I say this a lot to people I can count the number of negative interactions I've had with artists once I get to them on one hand, yeah. I can count the number of positive interactions I've had with music industry people on one hand. On one hand, yeah, 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 <laughs> literally. Uh, we was always lucky with venues. We had a couple of crap ones, mate. To work. Oh, there's a lot of shysters. There's a lot of shysters. People trying yeah. to shaft us and stuff like that, and agree to terms, and then want to pull back on them on the day because you've earned more money than they thought, and they want to keep hold of it. Or just people who don't get back to you and say, yeah, "Oh, this sounds good," and then I'll just leave it. I was loads that, of that, mate. Loads of that. Me and Tommy would drive around in a van. And hit two or three venues a week sometimes. Are you going person? Because we, we worked in Tower Hamlets. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, of course. We, it was it was so good for us at the time. We was working together and we worked all around where all the best clubs and venues were. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, it was always really, really easy for us to get meetings with venues. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, we'd drive around and go, right, let's pick them three venues today. Let's go and visit them. And then on the Friday, we'd go, right, we'd bang out all our work in the morning. So we had a good couple of hours. <laughs> Literally run around all the jobs, smashing them out, leave our PDAs on like... Out of office. Out yeah, of yeah. office type <laughs> thing, yeah, just so we couldn't get caught. Fly into all the venues, go and have the meetings that we needed to have. And we'd go for a tie-up box park. Me and Tommy, we loved this tie-up box park. We'd go to it every Friday. Well, box park shortage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. yeah. obviously it was always around there, man. It was always mm. there, so... Do you look back on those times with quite a lot of nostalgia now? Mate, you don't realise till now, and you, when you look back, how much you enjoyed them times. Me and Tommy talk mm. about it all the time, mate. It makes me emotional, mate, talking about it. It mm. literally does. Because they were the best days, mate. In the summer, driving down Brick Lane, busting out, hungry for the power, out the speakers. Every <laughs> kebab shop, world's number one kebab yeah, shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> world's number one curry, world's yeah, number yeah, one kebab. You can't all be this, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, man. They were the best days, mate. They really were. We talked all about your DJing journey, mate. Let's go behind the decks and talk about your own mental health journey. So I ask all my special guests on this topic this question first. Tell me about early life, childhood, teenage years, and looking back, were there any early mental health experiences? Who's the Joe we meet here? Well, I would start with the main thing is the ADHD, really. Which you're getting a diagnosis for at time of recording well, well I mean, trying to trying to yeah yeah because yeah. at the minute you, you, can, you just cannot get it through the NHS it's just mm. the waiting list in that is just ridiculously long 
I'm hearing of some people getting through in six months, and I'm hearing some people three years, like three, mm. four years. I just, I just, and the whole thing at the minute with the ADHD and how popular it's become recently, there's a lot of scam people out there scamming people, and yeah, doing I, online it's tests. Hard, that it's to, hard for me mate. to like wade through the know, mate, conjecture about it. Like I see some articles which say loads more people are getting diagnosed and I go, oh, okay, is that a good thing because there's loads of undiagnosed people are getting yeah. diagnosed or is it because this is a, a bad social wagon. contagion element where people mate, are going, oh, 100%. I've seen three symptoms, I must have it, mate, therefore get a diagnosis and then our doctor's going, well, I've got so many in the backlog, am I just going to just give, do you know what I mean? Like it's very hard for yep. me to find out what's actually the truth of the like moment. Like I always say, try and do a week in my head, man. Mm. and then see whether you've got ADHD. I'm not here to bash anyone or anything like that, but some of the crap I'm seeing online, mate, seriously. Some of these Z-listers, some of these social media people, oh, I've got ADHD. You've got, you forget a couple of things a day. That doesn't mean you've got ADHD, man. Mm. Nah. Tell me about the symptoms from your perspective. Yeah, man. just for me, it's just how chaotic everything is. Being able is to, or feels? Is. It is. Gen- okay. Genuinely yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Genuinely yeah. is, mate. Yeah, like... I'm just learning how now at 33 years old to be able to live with it. And I'm not taking any medication for it. I've tried everything, mate. I've tried mm. the mushroom capsules, mm-hmm. you know, the lion's mane and all that. And it does nothing for me. It's even not strong enough. I, I don't know. I literally don't know. But I'm in a process now where I'm up for trying medication now because mm. nothing seems to be working. But going back to like obviously being in primary school, secondary school, everyone put it down to being a troublesome kid. I was mm. never a troublesome kid. Were you hyperactive, kid. I guess? Yeah, 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 massively. Yeah. I was never a troublesome kid. Mm. You know, I would act up in class and stuff like that because I was always suppressed. I was always just you, sit yeah. down, shut up. If you don't speak, I'll let you sit in the back of the class and do whatever you want. And that's pretty So much. many kids like that, mate. mate I know, so I literally I could count five yeah. or six on the top of my head yeah, people like that. Yeah, yeah, And that is just what, growing up through that era, I was. My primary school from the early 90s up, you know, 2000s. Mm. Just take just didn't care, mate just saw you as a disruptive kid sit at the back of the class as long as you don't say nothing I don't care whether you did the work or not and that's just what it was so the majority of my classes that's what happened so your education the, suffered because of it 100% yeah. I'd sit at the back of the classroom just drawing on books mm. graffiti books that's all I would do and did you, you know, feel lost in that system it just doesn't work for everyone mate and I'm just mm. sick and tired of the school system does not work it does not work for the majority of people out there. So I don't know why they keep pushing it on people. The whole setup with, if you've got ADHD, you cannot sit in a classroom f- for eight hours a day. It just doesn't work. And Unless it's a subject you really, really love. Like that's If you're why interested in yeah. something, it's going to work for you. A lot of the lads that I've interviewed, they'd absolutely smashed one subject. A star, PE, 100%. DT, yeah, or anything. History, it, his, art, whatever yeah, it is yeah, they're yeah. interested in. Everything else ease, sees, yeah, 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 mate, hundred percent, hundred is that exactly me? Absolutely excelled in PE, absolutely excelled in DT. Okay, but I could only reach a C because I didn't do any coursework. Right, okay. So my highest grade coming out of school mm-hmm. was a C, GCSEs. I could not get my head round sitting and doing hours and hours and hours of coursework indoors. I wanted to be out. Mm. I wanted to be out football, rugby. Because it was, was practical. Practical. Yeah. All the practicals, mate. Aced it all. Aced it all. But just couldn't get the marks up because of the course. And, and when that was happening, this is probably an obvious question, but did no one think there's something here we need to just, check? Just did, didn't get picked didn't up. Didn't get picked up, did it? Uh, no, my mum no. my even says it the whole way through. She was like, although it's been a struggle, she was always up to school. I was always in trouble. But not always for stuff that was bad or wrong. It weren't like I was I a bully or anything like that. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, it was just acting up in class, being a class clown. And just, just genuinely not wanting to be there. 
Mm. I went to school to see my mates and that was it. I remember a conversation a few years ago I had with my mum and she knew a teacher who taught you, a very good teacher, who was, I think he was very supportive of you. I won't say his name for yeah. obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah. But he, he kind of said to he said to I know mom, exactly who you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, and he's he a said, main oh, man. Lovely lad, yeah, great yeah. heart, but just yeah. gets in a lot of fights. Yeah, yeah. That, was that a reflection of... 100%. Yeah. I was fighting because that was my release, I suppose. Right. So yeah. it was an emotional release. Yeah. It, uh, anger. Anger, yeah. Anger. Um, frustration, frustration at the system, at the system. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Wanting to cause a problem because what you're doing isn't working for me, you're not listening to me. I was always in timeout, I was always in the head of year's office, and I was saying, what do you want me to do? And at the time, I had a, an absolutely top head of year. Sadly, he's passed away now, but he loved my mum, he loved mm. me, and he could see what the problem was. And at the time started an enrolment project with a college called John Langs, which is over in Docklands, and we'd get the minibus there every Monday, and it was a just a, a multi-skills thing. And it showed who in the school really was interested in doing the construction side of things and who didn't. I think we started with 40 kids. I think four of us completed the course. Including you? I yeah. was one of the persons yeah, yeah, people yeah. include. I think me, Phil, my mate Freddie Parmenter, my mate Aaron Lowe, and a couple of others completed it. The rest of the people just was there to just to terrorise the gaff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we were seen as the naughty kids, just get them out of school. Right. You see what I'm so saying? the rest of them saw it as a DOS. As a DOS. You saw it we as, saw it as, is this is what we want yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. is what we've been trying to say the whole time. No one's listened to us. We're now in year 10. Finally, you've listened. And we would get taken out of school every Monday. I think it was either for an afternoon. Yeah, it was an afternoon from 12 or... 12 or what was the stuff you do? What was it? Why was Brick it so laying, important? Plastering, yeah. low-level electrics, low-level plumbing. So you were a kid that enjoyed working with things. Yeah. Yeah. And that was it. And that, and then I think from there, obviously, after that, we actually come to an arrangement because it just got so bad for me in school that I just didn't need to be there. We come mm. to an arrangement with the school indirectly that I wouldn't go in every Friday and I would go to work with my dad. Okay. Completely illegal now, obviously. I don't know whether you'd get away with that, but <laughs> but yeah, so every, you were like fifteen at that point, weren't you? Yeah, fifteen yeah, yeah. I would say, yeah. Yeah, it'd just be like, a, okay, he's here, but he's not here. Blind eye. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Was that a positive for you, just massive, to have that release? Massive. Yeah, I was going yeah. to work with my dad, I was only 30 quid a day. But at that age, that's a lot of money, man. Back mm. in them days, you know, that was, you know, you could buy your vinyl, you could buy your, you know what I mean? Mm. It, was, it wasn't so much of a, I didn't have to sell my sandwiches in school, do you know what I mean, <laughs> to, get to, to buy my vinyl. So, and it broke the week up. I knew I was only doing a four-day week. I knew I had to only endure it for four days instead of five. Mm. So it was better for my mental health. It was... Probably better for your mum to know that yeah, as well. 100%, yeah, 100%. Like, I was going to school somewhere. Structure. She dropped me at the school gate. I'd wait for her to drive off, jump back over the fence again. Mm. It was that bad. I just didn't want to be there. I wanted to be out riding motorbikes. I wanted to be out on my pedal bike, going down the dump. We had like a, we set up like a little load of ramps down there and we was going over our pedal bikes doing jumps and stuff like that. Over a place called The Chase, which was at the bottom of the school, we'd always have motorbikes. I, I was just, I just wanted to be out. That's all mm. I wanted to do. I didn't want to be in the Cooped school. Cooped up. Cooped up, yeah. yeah. If you had been given an ADHD diagnosis back yeah. then, would you have accepted it? Because I get the impression that you didn't like labels. So would you have rebelled uh, against it, maybe? No, I don't not? think I'd have rebelled against it, but I just think it would have been easier to get through schooling. Yes, yeah, yeah. Just because yeah. maybe I would have got the help that I needed, you know? Yes, yes. So, listen, I don't know at the time. Maybe I might have done, but it definitely would have helped with being able to be okay, right, you've got ADHD, we can help you in this, 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 and this, do you know what yes. I mean? And we can put we these... Might, let's forget about the rest of them, because exactly. you know we're not going to do it. Yeah, exactly. let's put the time into this. This, yeah. this put our time and effort into the things that you want to do and the things that you enjoy in. For that the way, career, yeah. for everything else. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that way it's career-based. That way it's... You're not coming out with all C's and having to fight the world to get a job. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, 
I remember when me and my mate Phil got our first apprenticeship because we were going to the same college together. And for that fact, my business partner, Jav, we all went to college together just by pure luck. We come out, we was obviously the naughty kids in school as it showed on our test results, which, you know, it's not a true reflection of who you are because mm. we was in school, we didn't want to do these things. We come out, we ended up going to Stratford College and yeah, we done a three-year apprenticeship, done our plumbing together and we went off into the, the world of work. Do you know what Did I mean? you start to feel more understood at that point or not? 100%. But we still had to do the key skills, we still had to do the paperwork, but we knew we had to do that to get that done. To get our MVQ level three, we knew we had to do this, this, sure. and this. So we was just a bit like, listen, we've got to get it you done. You saw man. the goal for that at least. Exactly, yeah, 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 exactly. Whereas before the previous work you were sitting, you were thinking, what's the point of this? Yeah. yeah. When you were in that point, how much of your rebelling was a rebelling against people putting labels on you rather than yourself? Uh, I don't know really. I don't know whether it was a... The way I look at it as well is I don't know whether I was actually rebelling. I don't know whether mm. it was I was rebelling against the system or whether it's just I was just a hyper kid and I was just mm. constantly... Probably even self-aware of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's genuinely what it was as well. It wasn't so much as a... It wasn't a conscious thing. Yeah, yeah. it weren't like a, a finger up to the school. It was like more of a look, I'm showing you here that this is what I want to do and this is what I'm good at. Mm. You know, I played in the school rugby team. I was playing yeah. district. I yeah. represented Essex at rugby. Like, I, I was playing at a good level and they could see all that. The school could see all that. Mm. Mr. Foster, the geezer who I was saying to you about, who sadly passed away, he was the only one really and the other teacher that yeah. we spoke about that had my back. Believed in you. Believed mm. in me. Knew that I was, I could do the right mm. thing. Going back to the whole fighting thing as well, I think it was just, I didn't like bullies. I wouldn't stand for bullies. I never had a bully in my group and I was always taught by my dad growing up, bully Stand the bully. Stand up for yourself. Bully the bully. Yeah. If you see someone get bullied, you bully that person back to us as hard. I wish I'd had you in my year, mate. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'd have a lot nicer time at school. Yeah. yeah. And that is what got me into the majority of fights. I just wouldn't take no shit, did, mate. Did the teachers who knew who you were yeah. see that? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why my mum, she ended up getting a good friendship with these two teachers that mm. we're talking about because she was up at school so much. So why did you get put in with other troublemakers then? I just, I think you just get grouped, didn't you? Yeah. You get grouped. Yeah, yeah. Whoever's in timeout is a troublemaker. Yeah. Or whoever's in bottom set for something, is a, it, troublemakers. Is, exactly, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's how it started, really, mate, mm. like that, yeah. We've spoken about how so many lads like you, mate, and people that I know have kind of been lost through the system in the 90s. Yeah. I mean, we're talking earlier in the 90s as well. Yeah, I, mean, like, yeah. I spoke to... Russell Small from the Freemasons, he had ADHD, just yeah. diagnosed, and he's 55. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, he had yeah. 80s and 90s, he was told he was a dreamer and all yeah, this, and yeah, suddenly yeah, how yeah. coming to all these realisations. Yeah. Have we lost a generation of, I'm going to say, predominantly working class lads who 100%. have had ADHD? 100%. And could have been? Yep. Mm. 100%. Said it from, I've said it to everybody. My mum said it to me as well. She was like, you just slip through the net. That's what I'm saying. It's slip through the cracks, yeah, literally yeah, in my running you order. Just, yeah. yeah, you don't. They just didn't have either. They didn't have the knowledge. They didn't have the yep. facilities. I don't or know both. what it was. Probably or both. both. Yeah. Or both. Yeah. To be able to deal with kids like us, mm. like me. And we was just, be quiet, shut up, sit in the back of the classroom. Just be quiet. Please don't disturb my class. Mm. Whereas I was getting teachers at the time to write me notes so I could go into DT and help out in DT. It would work. I'd get the teacher to write me a note to get me out of a class that I was in because I just couldn't be in there. I was constantly getting sent out. So he would write me a note Someone would bring it down to the classroom. Oh, Joe White's needed in DT, and I'd be in DT for the rest of the lesson. Buzzing. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely buzzing. Your mates must have thought, ah, oh, he's got it, he's yeah, done it yeah, again. He's done it again. He's How's, he How's he wangled that one, man? <laughs> <laughs> we spoke earlier about, mate, this 
normalization of ADHD in the conversation, yeah. which is good. Yeah, it is good. But yeah. we've also had a lot of trivialization of Bandwagon it, shall we say. Yeah. yeah. So how do you view the conversation right now? I don't really talk about it for this, mate. Because mm. I'm well, fed up. Now. <laughs> yeah, apart from now. It's just because I'm fed up of sifting through the crap mm. and listening to people. I'm getting like that as well, mate, yeah. to be honest, with yeah. different issues. Yeah, yeah. like, because you're a bit forgetful, because you're not on time, and because you're late to a couple of things, doesn't mean you've got ADHD. And I think a lot of people are getting this diagnosis, obviously to benefit themselves, but also they're going privately, they're paying the money, they're not getting a proper detailed diagnosis yeah, uh, yeah. Pro- proper detailed assessment firstly and then they're getting a, a false diagnosis and I feel like oh that's it I've got ADHD I just blame everything on that and that's what people are getting away so with so it's right a victim, they're, they're victim I, think, I think so mate I think if you genuinely have it and you're genuinely struggling with this every day it ain't nice man it's hard fucking work man be serious so how did you take responsibility for it yourself then I'm just trying to put things in place to make my life easier if that makes sense I've got a book a little black book I keep with me and I write every single thing in that book I need to do and then I'll green highlighter it. if I had the book with me I would have shown you it but it's crazy mate I'll show people they go, it's like mate, M&M's, M&M's rap book yeah that, it. literally they're like mate is this what you do on a daily I was like this is what I have to do to survive mm. like it's that bad and if it ain't in that book it don't get done it's that serious like mm. and yeah it's just I'm just trying to put things in place now like obviously you're never going to be able to stop it you're never going to be able to change no. it I always describe this when it comes to my own trauma they're like I've not got a suitcase anymore I've got an overnight bag of trauma yeah, do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean yeah, I'm never yeah. going to be able to get rid of it but course, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll be able to manage it exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's been a few books written on ADHD which have been pretty seminal one is Scattered Minds which I've read by Gabor Mate and he talks a lot about the intricacies and psychological wirings and I'm you know I, I remember sending it to you so if you, yeah. if you, can't, if you don't like reading it read your like listen to I the audio I do yeah, yeah what have been the positives of it oh, I had mad positives it ain't all bad mate I'll be honest yeah, with you like, well, just the, the pure creativity the yeah. pure creativity of what you want to do the, the sporadic faults I remember a pal I was living with at the time my mate Harry we were sitting around a dinner table one night I think it was like Wednesday I went oh, fancy climbing Snowden and he went <laughs> what I went, I fancy climbing Snowden. And he went, you won't do that. I went, how much you want to bet? <laughs> he went, I bet your balls are you don't climb Snowden. I rung my business partner, Jav, that night. We got three people together. We drove all through the night. Got to the base of the mountain at two o'clock in the morning. Climbed Snowden in three hours. Come back down the other side. Got in the van and drove home. And I went to my, where's my balls are? <laughs> I went, now that is what an ADHD... You've got some serious... Yeah. Pers- it's giving you some serious persuasive yeah, yeah. power, man. That is what ADHD kids do, man. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> I was like, right, it was like... It was like, fuck you two. Mm. You want to bet me? All right, we'll see. Like, mm. Do you know what I mean? And he was cracking up the whole time. And even Jav was like, yeah, mate, I'm up for that. And our other mate Hassan as well, he jumped on for the ride. And uh, yeah, mate, it was a wicked experience. That in a nutshell is kind of, you know, proving someone wrong. But do you yeah. want the diagnosis to almost prove yourself right? Uh, yeah, I suppose so. I think to a certain extent. And I am at a point now where I am willing to try medication. Okay. I never was before. I I'm can good. understand why. To be yeah, fair. yeah, yeah. I've heard so many horror stories about it. It suppresses mm. you. It might just knocks you out. It, you, you don't know whether you're coming or going. But I've tried all the mushrooms. I've tried everything else now and nothing's worked for me. So it is at a point where it is getting uncontrollable. Mm. And it affects my day-to-day life a lot, man. Mm. And you want something that doesn't like dull your creativity, but of just course. something that allows you to be balanced, balanced as much exactly. as possible. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, 
that's why I've decided to try and get this diagnosis now so I can move forward and try and get some, at least try some medication. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whether it works or not is another thing. I don't know. Going in with sort of an, an open mind on it all. I'm quite sceptical about medication. Long term, yeah. From, from, from doctors and long term. Unless it's for serious, serious medical issues like schizophrenia and yeah, antipsychotic yeah. Where, drugs. Where I'm, you have to take yes, them on a daily yeah, basis. Yeah, otherwise, yeah. you do have a downward spiral, yeah. Mm. So, yeah, I'm a bit sceptical about it all, but we'll see, I suppose, mm. once, once the diagnosis comes through. The second main issue we're going to talk about, mate, is how you've dealt with addiction. Yep. specifically yep. party drugs yep. I'm not going to specify which people can guess yep. when did you feel like the initial substance use which was done partying recreationally yep. started to become a problem and then a serious problem yeah so for me I was quite late to the scene like if I'm honest you know a lot of my mates started using recreational drugs at 17 18 mm. 19 I didn't start using recreational drugs till like the first two years I went to our beef I went completely sober wow yeah Completely sober. That's the ADHD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't touch a drug. I drunk, obviously, but mm. I mean, completely sober drugs-wise. It weren't until 2009, 2012, 11, all mm. the random years, it was when we really started caning it, you know what mm. I mean? I was always around it, mate. It was always there, partying, going to the raves, you know. We was going on weekend-long benders, mate. You can't do that just drinking alcohol. It's physically impossible. <laughs> I know a couple of warriors that can do it, but apart from that, like, they're few and far between. Yeah, man, like, yeah. They really are. That's how it started. And then it sort of went from using every other weekend to, well, no, I'll tell you once, a, once, starts, a, once a month, yeah, yeah, to every other weekend because you're starting to party more, and then you're using it every weekend. And then every weekend turns into one day in the week, and then sometimes two days in the week. It just spirals, man. Mm. And then at my worst, like sort of beginning of the last year, it was like every weekend and one or two days in the week as well. Mm. There's also addiction issues that's been in your family, yeah, family yeah, yeah, tree. Yeah, I won't yeah, specify yeah, where. Yeah. So if you had known that before you started oh, this, no, I've always known it, mate. You've always known, I've it. Always okay. known it. Yeah, yeah. And I just allowed myself to get caught up in it. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you so, weren't even naive going in. No, you kind of knew. I knew right, everything. Fair. Listen, I know it runs on my dad's side of the family, as you well know, and. Yeah, my granddad, my dad's dad was alcoholic and it's run down for the family, basically. I always knew that. I allowed it to happen, yeah. I take full responsibility myself. There was no mm. one pushing nothing on me. That's fair enough, mate. Yeah, there was yeah. no one ever pushing nothing on me. I enjoyed doing it. I enjoyed the feeling I got from it. And yeah, later on in, in life, I had a lot of friends that would get completely out of control. Bolted. But yeah, yeah <laughs> or, or just K-holing. Like, yeah, and that's I felt a bad like, place to be. Yeah, and I felt like, they needed to be looked after on yes. nights out sometimes. Yes. So then I got into my head that it was a coping mechanism for not getting too crutch. drunk. Yes. For not getting too drunk. So I would use to stay switched on. I always had this thing in my head that if something had kicked off, I think it, a lot of it was to do with a fight that happened in 195 years ago. Oh, we're talking, this, yeah. is, this is nostalgia now. So I wasn't there at the time. Right. And a couple of my mates got into a bad, bad, bad punch up. My mate got slashed across the face, slashed across the chest, and I was not there. And that stuck in my head. Do you feel like, you felt like the guilt that you weren't yeah, there? Yeah, massively, mate, because mm. I was out every... You know why I wasn't there? Because I was doing coursework. <laughs> Joe White didn't go out <laughs> on a night out because he had to This will be course. breaking news to the people in your network yeah, hearing this. <laughs> mate, like, I just, and I just sat in my room that day and I was like, how has that happened? But one night, the one party I don't go to, it kicks off with 30 geezers and there's people throwing bottles of champagne across the dance floor. It was horrendous. I mean, three of my mates on 20 geezers. They chucked them outside. Jade's got a, a number done on them. Absolutely. My mate got smashed over the bottle and blood pouring out his head. My mate got 
chopped across the face of a glass bottle, chopped across the chest. Bad, like major, major. I was in that car down Epping New Road from Barkingside, mate, as fast as you could possibly imagine to try and get there once I heard what had happened. Mm. Ambulance had already took my mate to hospital. His chin was hanging off, mate, off his face. Like, he had to have all, all reconstruct, he had to have, I think, six or seven operations to reconstruct the bottom of his face. Bad, mate. The club got shut down for a few weeks. It was a proper tear up, proper. And I think that stuck with me that mm. I wasn't there that night. I couldn't help. And going out after that, I made sure that I was never that person that had to be carried out of a club. I was never that person that was so out battered it, yeah. that I couldn't fight or I couldn't back myself if something was on. Do you know mm. what I mean? And that is what I kept on relating back to, kept on relating back to. You're using because of this, so it's okay. Mm. Does that make sense? You were giving yourself a justification. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Would you say that the ADHD gave you or is any way a part of an addictive personality? Yeah, 100%. Okay. I hyper-focus on things. If I do things... So I'm it like, made you vulnerable to addiction, basically. Mate, yeah. like, I have an addictive personality from start to finish. Food, going out, buying stuff. Mm. Like I, I love hobbies. I've got so many hobbies that... Like, I'm just an addictive person. So mm. if you do something... You're all in. You're, you're all in, mate. In. You're all in. You're zero. Yeah, or you're nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's no happy medium with me, mate. Like, mm. All my friends know that. Do you know what I mean? They, they know that it is it is like that. So, so yeah, it's just... I think that is just how I've always been. I've never been a That's person... That's how you're wired. I've never been a person that is half-hearted at anything. Mm. Ever. Whether it's, whether it's a hobby, whether it's going out, whether it's... Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, I'm just... Mm fully in you said something quite interesting to me off air when it comes to the psychology of how the drugs affected your brain you yeah. said I never did drugs to get high for it I did it never. to feel normal yep tell me about that and I think that you hear that from a lot of people with ADHD a lot of people that do cocaine when you haven't got ADHD get some off their face buzzing tripping mm. out doing whatever they need temporarily, to. temporarily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that just levels me wow it levels me to be, a, like, to be able to focus and be a normal person nuts mate it sounds so backwards I don't know whether anyone else can relate to this so it has a chilling effect yeah it just it or just, calming effect sorry it, yeah. I wouldn't say calming but it just zones me in it just dials me in man mm. dials me into where I need to be sort of thing at that point do you know what I mean like mm. I don't know whether anyone else has this with ADHD I would, I would like to maybe get some feedback on that as well mm. if anyone else has this issue whereby they're not doing drugs to get higher when we was on the rave scene, we was doing the ecstasy and stuff. That was a different... That, that came along with it, that, yeah, you, yeah. You, there's no matter what you can do. If you're taking good ecstasy, you're getting seriously high, yeah? Mm. But with regards to the cocaine and stuff Or like weed that, as well, that would yeah, be Yeah, so I've never, it, yeah. never been a smoker, though. I've never been a person that has been into the weed. It's always been uppers for me. Yes. But uppers to level me, not to get me higher. A strange setup, I know, but... I'm, trying, I'm just working through that in my brain yeah, about how that would work. Yeah, yeah so we would be out, would be having a few pints, and I'd get to a point where, right... What I, did alcohol do? Was that purely depressing I've, I've, I've always been able to handle a good amount of alcohol. I've never mm-hmm. been like a... a binger. Binger. Yeah. Or I've never been... I drink alcohol because I love the taste of it. Right. I don't drink alcohol to See, get I'm drunk. a social drinker now. I don't, See, even, I don't even like wine. I, say, I love I love wine I love beer I drink because I like the taste of it whereas, right. a, lot, whereas a lot of people drink to get drunk yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I genuinely don't I like a nice wine with dinner I like going out for a beer with the, with the boys like, I love the taste of beer I just mm. I just do and for me I would have five or six pints and I would be at that point where I was starting to feel a bit pissed and then it would come into my head you can't get too drunk because you don't want to be that person that's going to be letting it all hang out and be uncontrollable and give people 
an issue whereby they got to look after you. You don't want to be the social hangout. Uh, exactly that. So that I would use to make sure that I wasn't that person. Is that what lay behind the using then? Yeah. Because Gabor Matty talks a lot about what lays 100%. behind the pain of self-harm or the pain of addiction. And yours was being a protector yep. and not wanting to not ever be a protector yep. ever again. Yeah. And also, if something went down, being able to handle what went down at that time and not being so drunk or out of your face that you... Becomes dangerous. Yeah, where yeah. it kind of becomes dangerous, yeah. Yeah. A turning point in your life came in the form of a very vivid dream. Yeah. Tell me about <laughs> that dream and how it relates to ADHD or addiction yeah. or music or whatever it, you took it meaning so, from. So, yeah, I went through a bit of a bad stage a couple of years ago, a breakup, and I won't dive too much into that, but I went off the rails, mate, quite badly. I was using, you know, a lot more than I should have been, relying on drink, relying on drugs to get through the pain of what had happened. I was just all over the gaff, mate. I mm. just was, I just, you know, I couldn't, I just couldn't see a way out at mm-hmm. the time of what I was doing. And yeah, I suppose this come along, I don't know whether you want to say it was a drink and drug induced dream. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. But I had a dream one day that I was standing outside a house and the house was burning down and there was a light. I don't know whether it was God or what it was. I don't know what it was, but there was a set of decks up on the top floor of this house and something was just dragging me back into this house to go and use these turntables. Mm. And... I woke up from that dream and that same week an old friend of mine Louis Kay we started messaging or he'd messaged me and I'd messaged him I see he was playing in Elmo's around the corner he was resident DJ at Elmo's he was like why don't you pop down and have a mix at this time I'd probably not mixed for years man five, six, seven years I'd have no decks didn't have no decks no more I wasn't playing out wasn't doing any parties or mm-hmm. anything like that and I went down one Friday with him I said mate back on ignited that flame again ignited that spark to, to start start playing out again and then I end up staying there with him pretty much every Friday <laughs> DJ with him when you had the dream yeah. did you see what as we call it in the psychology or mental health whatever realm you want to call it yeah. the infinite purpose in that moment which was music no at the no. time it was just it was very vague it was very blurry to me at the time like I knew that it was this Dex was on the top floor all I can remember is he, these turntables at the top floor it was someone was dragging me there saying you've got to play and then from now that week is when I spoke to my mate Louis Kay and he invited me down to Elmo's and it was just from there that I just thought, do you know what? I don't know what that was, but it's reignited this mm. whole love for playing out DJing again. And then I've got a load of bookings off the back of that and we've mm. got, me and Tommy have started picking it back up again. We're playing as more of a duo now. Obviously, you've booked us for your show and it's, yeah, it saved me, man. It really did. It feels like the dream was maybe a representation of what your life was at the time. Maybe. A burning house. Burning, yeah, very, could well be. Could well be. Because everything around me was just going to shit, man. Maybe you might have another dream and the decks are not in the burning house, maybe. Maybe, maybe yeah. the house isn't burning down at yeah, that point. Yeah, but like you said, you could, make, you, you could hit a bit an hour on the head then. You know what I mean? You, it could well have been that that was... I don't know, but it could well have been, yeah. And you were DJing with Louis, who was sober at that point, completely. So he was on, he'd just started his sober... I think... It, I'm not talking out of turn here, but yeah, I think he'd just started his cyber journey. Did that show you what was possible? 100%. Hats mm. off to him, man. He's he's smashing it now. I'm not too sure how many days cyber he is, but yeah, he's doing really well, man. At that time, I was still using, and you know what? He was so strong. He never drunk when we was there. He you know, never used and everything like that. Because that's the thing that I think sometimes people with addiction issues struggle with, because their mates will still use around 100%, them. 100%, mate. 100%. And they just get triggered and then Triggered and then have Yeah, yeah, yeah relapse, but he was yeah. so strong. He was so strong. Like, don't get me wrong, I was never offering it to him or anything of like course. that. I would never try and make him break his sobriety, but 
Yeah, he was uh, he was strong. Did that show you what was achievable with a cover as well? Hundred percent, hundred percent. And then after that, I sort of floated between sobriety in and out. A couple of weeks, I would do, and then I got a month under my belt, and I'd go back to drinking. And then just recently, I've done two months, whereby I had no drink, no drugs for the two months. But I'm at a point in my life now where I'm going to do dry January again. I'm doing small stints of sobriety, but I don't know whether sobriety works for me, complete sobriety. And I don't know whether... Could change with medication, mate. Potentially. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Mm. But potentially, I think the whole blanket becoming teetotal and being completely sober for the rest of your life, I don't think necessarily works for everybody. Because AA didn't work for you, did it? No. No, I went once. I literally went for one meeting and I just... It was too religious for me I was going to say did it feel religious it felt to you felt quite religious yeah. to me and it just listen I'm not knocking it it works for a lot of people yes correct yeah and brilliant like literally you know, I've known a lot of people that have done it a friend of mine has done it and he's two years sober now mm-hmm. which I'll take my hat off to but yeah it just maybe I didn't give it enough of a try and give it enough of a chance but that, that first opening experience for me was a bit too much if that mm. makes sense so I just had to go at it alone mate really but I will say is like, you know, being completely sober for the rest of your life doesn't necessarily work for everybody. I think that for someone like me, where I do genuinely like the taste of alcohol, I'm not drinking the alcohol to get drunk. I would like to be able to enjoy some wine with my dinner. I would like to be able to enjoy some wine with, I'm not saying the drugs, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that the alcohol in this, in this sense that on my birthday, I would like to be able to go out for a meal mm-hmm. and have dinner with my mates and have some beers, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. so... I think constantly putting that pressure on myself to stay sober was too much for me. Do you feel like you were kind of burning out almost? 100%, because it was a chore for me every day, man. Mm. It was it was exhausting. As part of your recovery as well, you tried therapy for a yep. few months. Yep. Just yep. tell yep. me why it helped you. Because it did. Yeah, yeah, because it did help me, yeah. It was at that time I was going through a quite dark stage. Just being able to speak to someone that had no ulterior motive, was not trying to get nothing out of you, was not judging you, was not... You know, I mean, I could just speak open and freely. I'd go in there and I would just spit at her for free, <laughs> literally for an hour, and she would just absorb it all, absorb it all, and just give me feedback. And it was it's a that, skill in it. You realise? I, I think I done it for maybe two or three months, maybe four months, and I think I went once a week, and just to release, mate, the mm. release to be able to say stuff to her that you necessarily wouldn't be able to say to your mum or your dad or your brother or sister or anyone. Do you know what I mean? Your missus, whatever. Just that release of being able to talk and have. No one say nothing. No judgment. No judgment. Yeah. And we both know, mate, that trust is massive for men in disclosure. Far more stereotypically than it is for women. Hundred percent. So once you had built that trust, were you able to kind of let her see behind the curtain? Yeah. I was so like I was like to a point where it was not good how honest I was being with her. (laughs) (laughs) To the point where she was like, okay, yeah, we have to skip past that bit now because (laughs) you shouldn't really be telling me that. (laughs) But. I've always been super honest, super open with, you know, what's happened and stuff like that. But yeah, that is why it did work for me because I was so honest and open with her that she could give me pointers and come back to what I was saying and say, right, well, you could do this, this and this and was giving me like ways to work around things. Mm. So I want to finish this pod before we reflect, mate, by talking about your Movember. Yep, yep, So yep, just yep. tell me why you wanted to take all of these negative experiences you had gone through and try and create another positive. So it was just literally off the back of doing the two months sober. I thought, I've got to come out of this with doing something good, something sort of good to something, do you know what I mean? And I got in contact with a boy, Jack, just as I was starting that two months sober. I literally just reached out to him, just said, look, mate, like, obviously, 
understand you're sober. We've got mutual friends. Like I would like to link up and connect. Try and connect the dots up in my head as to why I'm like it. And he seemed to be like, he seemed to sort of mirror me a little bit in the sense that he was, don't get me wrong, he's on a completely sober journey as well. Mm-hmm. And he's doing really well. And I don't know how many days sober he is, but yeah, he's on a completely sober journey. So that works for him. You see what I'm saying? So, and mate, he was so good. He was like a bit of a mentor through the two months and still is now, still reaches out to me, drops me a message. Yo, mate, how you doing? How you getting on? And stuff like that. And just will, checking in, Yeah, mate. just checking mm-hmm. in, mate, literally. like, And literally shout outs to him for doing that, mate, because without that little bit of extra support along the way, you don't know what might have happened. You know, you could have fallen mm-hmm. off end up on a massive three-day bender and it all goes out the window, do you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I raised about 800 quid, I think, it, I think I'm at now, for the Movember, grew the Tash, done the whole the whole works and I actually ran... How many looks did you get? Oh, mate, loads. And I actually set myself a goal during that time to run 100k in the course of November and uh, yeah, I got that done. So yeah, it was hard, very mm-hmm. hard, challenging, but a good experience. What sense of achievement did it give you? It's just made me want to do more challenges, more stuff like that. Next year, I want to start setting myself some more goals. Right, let's do this, this, and this, and set myself the goal. It was good raising money as well, man. Was like, this the goal? Hundred percent. This is this is. I'll take that for myself. Hundred percent. This was one of the goals. I said I've said this to a lot of people, mate. This is a goal today, ticked off the list. So yeah, it was. Like I said, it was challenging, but I've set myself some goals for next year, and I'd like to do a bit more mm. fundraising, a bit more charity work. I've always done charity work, to be fair. I've put on a couple of parties down my rugby club and donated some money to charity for them. Mm-hmm. I've done some parties. I just love doing parties, mate. I love putting on events, you know what I mean? I've done, back at my old house, when I was living back in Barkingside, we had a couple of themed day parties just in the garden. A couple of Mexican night, Cowboys and Indians night. Do you know what I mean? And we just, we've done a bit of food, done a bit of fundraising. Mm. So I've always done a little bit here and there, do you know what I mean? Like throughout the course of my life. But yeah, I would like to do a bit more in-depth stuff next mm. year. Definitely. I know you wouldn't see yourself as an advocate yeah. in quote unquote for yeah. ADHD yeah. and I don't I like, I don't like that term either but it's the only yeah. one I can think of yeah. but do you want to do more of that try and be that uh, potentially positive potentially yeah, yeah, yeah. who've got ADHD yeah and I would also like to delve a bit more into the addiction side of things because mm-hmm. I feel like that is a big thing with ADHD and how it does affect a lot of they people they are so interlinked mate, aren't they really it is so interlinked it. like when you think about it when you actually deep dive into it mate it's just their parallels and that mm. it's ridiculous how, how someone with ADHD the likelihood of them suffering with addiction is so high must be it's, huge it's literally it's astronomical mate and I would like to also potentially look at doing something whereby understanding that sobriety for certain people doesn't just have to be continued sobriety allowing yourself to have time out and break from being sober does work for people. I don't know if you've heard of it, but Adrian Child, the presenter. Yeah, I know Adrian Child. He was a bad alcoholic. Yes, yeah, I remember him writing yeah. about it a few years ago. Yeah, so he's brought out a book about controlling his alcoholism and still allowing himself to drink. But I haven't read the book yet, so I right. could be speaking a little bit out of turn here. But from what I get from it is he is still drinking, but it's... A whole complete lifestyle change to how he was drinking before. Mm. The whole look. Some people could say that's like him still being in denial, or maybe, maybe. That would be one opinion. I'm not saying that's my opinion. But the way I look at it is, if you're not drinking every day, looking yourself in your bedroom, you're winning because you've gone from somebody that is drinking on a daily basis, 10, 12 pints a day, going home, drinking bottles of wine indoors on your own, isolating yourself from your friends, to being able to drink socially. That's a massive win for me. Mm. because I've been I've been there I know how dark, all, I know how dark mm. it can get 
Rocky yourself almost looking you at a different bar. 100%. Yeah. 100%. But I know how dark it can get. And if you could get out of that, come out the other side and still be able to, to drink socially and allow yourself that little bit of pleasure in drinking which I do get from drinking mm. I do like I said I love the taste of beer I love the taste of wine I like having wine with my dinner not every day but mm. if I'm going to a fancy restaurant then I want to be able to drink the thing the key here is self-control 100% whereas ADHD people really struggle with, with self-control, self-control yeah. Yeah. struggle yeah. with self-control but I want to get to a point where I put things in place that could work for other people as well if mm. that makes sense have you ever thought about you know going back to Oaks Park and talking and asking no, the not, to No, I haven't. Both? No, I've never, never, never thought about it. That's the first. Now you've said it, but maybe in the future that could be yeah. that could be something. Well, I'm just thinking, or, or any school that's maybe not as well versed on ADHD, because yeah. you are a living example of yeah. a how it can go wrong in school, but b yeah, how yeah. you can recover from it, 100%. or not recover from it, but manage it. Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hundred yeah. percent, mate. I'm like, listen, I'm open to options. I'm more like I said, I've got ADHD. I'm always up for taking tasks <laughs> on that I don't necessarily need to take on. Mm. But everyone's always, listen, Joe, you've got to slow down. You've got to slow down. It's a detriment to your mental health which I've realised that now I understand that now only really the last few months I've really started to take a back seat really started to stop the people pleasing stop doing everything for everybody else does that come with it people pleasing massively man massively and stop taking so much on all the time because I'm just you're burning out mate I'm burning out and I'm spreading myself so thin consistently that I'm only giving people 10% of me yes instead of being able to give everyone 100% of me and getting the full joe I'm spread so thin. Well, hopefully after this, mate, you will. This is it. I'm, this is what I'm thinking. So, so yeah. You know, going forward into next year, I've got some goals I want to work towards and I want to start putting things in place and maybe being a bit more of an advocate for people that are in the same boat as me mm. with addiction, with, with the whole drinking side of things, that you don't have to drink every day. You don't have to drink every weekend if you don't want to. You can have weeks off. You can have spaces mm. of sobriety. And you can go back to being a social drinker. Do you know what I mean? When it comes to the people pleasing, have you put steps in place to combat that? So where you know, I describe myself as a massive people pleaser in yeah. recovery. And when I started putting the steps in place yeah. and setting boundaries, you actually lose a fair few people in your 100%, life because right. they were the ones who were taking advantage of you. Hundred percent. And you normally find out that they're the closest people to you. Sometimes, or the, yeah. Or the people yeah. that you thought was the closest. Yes. To you. Yes. So. Have you had I have, that realisation? I have, yeah, definitely. I've most definitely had that realisation because I used to do everything for everybody. It'd be, don't worry, joke and sort that. Mm. And that was a lot a lot of my life. And now I've took a back seat. I have noticed that we ain't going out of so many functions. We're not doing so many things with the boys. There's not many parties being organised. There's not... I have noticed the fall off, especially where I've moved out of the area. Now I'm living in Ongar. Mm that I have noticed that you're not getting as many calls anymore from your mate. But listen, that just comes with growing up. I yeah, get that. Sure. I understand that. I'm not bitter or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not a person that is bitter about not speaking to my mates as much as I used to. But in the same sense, you do notice people dropping off because you're not doing what you was doing prior to to how you're starting to react to certain things now. Mm. Like, Let's reflect on your mental health journey, mate. So yeah. first of all, what has it taught you about yourself um, just that I'm always up for the ride I'm always 100% or nothing at all I am massively a people pleaser but I always will be to a certain extent and I think that is the ADHD but I have cut it down a lot what I was taught or what I was spoke I went to an ADHD seminar beginning of this year and they spoke a lot about people pleasing and I think what you've got to do is you've, it's a bit like drinking you've got to have a time of sobriety a time away from it to look back on it and go bloody hell mate how was you doing that like, mm. how was you 
doing all these parties, organising all this stuff, organising Christmas do's and work drinks and God knows what else. How was you doing that? You need time away to be able to look back on yourself and say, right, that needs to that needs to be changed. Do you know mm. what I mean? So, so yeah, I would I would say people pleasing still. And then just the chaos, mate. It seems like chaos in my head. And you want to make ca- it organised chaos, don't you? You want exactly. to make it just that's, chaos. That's what it is now to a point whereby people look at me and go, like, how'd you do it? And I'm like, well, I've got my black book. This is my Bible. Mm-hmm. I go by this on a daily basis. That's your prized possession but, now. But, e- yeah. but even that, mate, I'll, I'll flicker between, I might not use it for a week or so, then I'll have a meltdown and go, oh, no, no, I need to use the black book again. <laughs> so if you see that black book, it gets highlighted, it's done. Do you know what I mean? It's ticked off the list. So... Like I say, you live with it, mate. Like it's, it's, it ain't going away. Mm. It's only getting worse. So you've just got to learn how to put steps in place to manage it. Mm. And as a final question before we move on, if you could go back yep. and talk to the Joe who was feeling lost in school, frustrated, yep. not being listened to, yep. being labelled wrongly, yep. the Joe at the start of his plumbing apprenticeship and doing those DIY DJ sets with Tommy, yep. Yep. or the Joe who was in the depths of that addiction, what would you say to him knowing what you do now? I don't think I'd change anything. But looking back, I've had some amazing times, man. I've been on amazing holidays. I've been to some crazy parties. Like, I've had some wicked, wicked times. And for me to say, oh, I regret any of it. I don't, no, I don't really go through I think life. It's about regret. Yeah, no. I don't think I go through life, life with any regrets as such. Yeah. Like, I wish that I'd never got as badly into the alcohol, the drugs and stuff mm. like that. Obviously, of course, that's just human nature, isn't it? Like, you, you don't you don't want to be in that position. But What would you wish you, you would have known, basically, uh, back then, that you do now? Just that it is okay to be different. It is okay that you've got this ADHD. You know, you're not... Doesn't make you wrong. Doesn't make you wrong. Weird. You're not an outcast yeah. or you're not a weirdo. That you can live with it. You can put steps in place to make your life easier. And that there is a light at the end of the tunnel especially when you're going through dark times with ADHD and when you're going through dark times with relationship breakups, because obviously that, Anything, was, that mind, was the trigger for me. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah, the trigger sure. for me. That was the trigger. Well, it's how to manage things in the future as well, because yeah. you could go through another, you could, you know, someone could, 100%. You know, God forbid, touch wood, but yeah. like grief, unemployment, all these things. You won't be able to manage them and not having to go back into that 100%, spiral again. 100%, mate. So you just put stepping stones in place that if something like that did happen again, that I ain't going to revert back to the drinking drugs. Yes. I'm not just going to go off the rails. That was my coping mechanism. My coping mechanism was block it all out, get as fucked up as you possibly can, because all that happens is every time you think about it, it's pain. So all that's doing is just blocking out the pain, but then the next day it comes back worse. So you It always block- finds a way to, to manifest, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, and then yeah. you want to block it out again. You need and to find the release when, valve. And that's when you mm. get stuck in the cycle. And to get out of that is hard, man. It really is. To pull yourself through the other end is hard. And a lot of people around me are addicts and don't realise it, I think. A lot of people are drinking, a lot, a lot of people are using a lot of drugs, but won't own it. Do you know what? I am an addict here. I am I am using too much. They just think it's acceptable. I've seen it with my own family and I'm still in deep depths of addiction, you know. And uh, it's just learning how to break the cycle, basically, I think. Mm. Try and pull yourself out of it. Listen, I'm not going to seriously say I'm never going to touch a drink or a drug again in my life. Uh, it'd just be it'd be silly for me to say that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But making promises you can't making keep promises I'm not going to keep. Yeah. And also, I don't believe in like I said. It's not that I don't believe in false sobriety because I do, but it doesn't work for everybody. That's mm-hmm. that's just what what I mean by that. If it's working for you, perfect, mate. Like, my hat off to you. Anyone that could go full sober, mate, I salute them, mate. I, li- I really do. The mental struggle to be able to do that is just. Fortitude, yeah. The, yeah, the fortitude is just insane, mate. It really is. And I've got a few people around me, like like uh, the boys I mentioned earlier, that are on that sober journey. And, mate, hats off to them, man, because it's, it's, it's an incredible thing to do. 
Our final topic of conversation, mate, and it's one I try and have with all of my special guests if we have time. It is a general natter and quick fire chat about mental health. So firstly, how would you say your mental health is at the moment, mate? Good. I would say, listen, I have peaks and troughs. You have down days and stuff like that, like anyone does. But with regards to the ADHD, I am learning how to control it. I'm learning how to suppress it a little bit. I'm learning that you just... Weaponise it, maybe? Yeah, 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 pretty much. And I'm learning that when things go out of control, you haven't got a result back to yes. what was my coping mechanism. You need your toolkit. Yeah, what yeah. was my coping mechanism before. And yeah, pretty much, mate. Yeah, I'm good at the minute. Mm. I'm pretty good. And what age were you when you became self-aware of your mental health and you realised that the feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind? Recently. Really? Yeah. Was that right or wrong age? Just tell me about that. Was it your Eureka Never, moment? I would say probably in the last three or four years. Wow. Mental health wasn't a thing when I was in school. Of Mental course, health yeah, wasn't yeah. A, wasn't spoke about, wasn't spoke about with your mates, you know. And I'm not a depressive person. I've always been a happy, you know, active, you know, oh, this do something, ring Joe, you'll be up for it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And, I, and I still am like that. I've never, ever suffered. The funny thing is I've never suffered with depression. Never suffered with depression until the last two years, really. Mm. And I wouldn't say that was depression whereby no you were depressed because of something exactly yeah, it wasn't clinical depression. exactly that yeah. exactly that i wouldn't say that i just have days where i woke up and i'm naturally sad yeah because i'm not i'm quite a happy person it was life but events it was life yes. events yeah. that triggered yes something in my brain to go right this is how you deal with it yeah and can you remember the first conversation you had with someone about your mental health so who is it with what did you say and how did it feel looking back did it feel like on the one hand this big moment or a weight had been lifted or on the other, something easy and normal to do? Honestly, I would say the first conversation I had about my mental health was with the therapist. That makes sense. Because that was the first person that I really felt like I could go... Bleh, and and she listened to you. And she listened. Yeah. I would say and that was, what, a year ago? And that was the first ever proper experience I ever had of opening up. I've never opened up before. Ever. Until now. Until now. <laughs> Until now. And now it's all out there, yeah. But um, I would say that was my first experience of a mental health chat should we say and we know that that first experience is massive for lads because if it goes wrong massive mate can put you back weeks months maybe even again mate so when i decided that i wanted to go to therapy i spoke to my little sister and i just said to her look listen i can't do the finding i need you to do that for me (laughs) but so she had to do the therapy shopping she'd done the therapy shopping for me she was like right these are the people you could speak to because you have like little bite-sized... Yes, you have yeah. like little 10-minute chats That's to it, yeah. work out what, how they are and who... So I went to the lady's yeah. house and I was just like, I'm cancelling all the rest of them. I want to speak to you. Instantly, I knew. It was like, we was mates. You get the vibe. Mate, you it, do, was, yeah. it was mad. It was like I'd known her all my life. And we started speaking for 10 minutes and she went, would you like to book another session? I went, 100%. Mm. So I rung the other three that I had. I said, look, I'm really sorry. I said, but I've met my first one and we've just hit it off. And there's nothing bad about that. You know what I mean? Mm. That's absolutely fine. And it was perfect, man. It, mm. it, it done what it was there to do. And I've always got her number forever. I feel like I need to go back and see her. Mm-hmm. I'm good. Do you know what I mean? So, mm. And what things do you find in life, mate, that trigger your mental health? So it could be things people say to you, a sound, sensation, being in a particular environment, or have you not figured all of them out yet? No, I wouldn't say I figured them out yet, mate. I, don't, I wouldn't say that I so much have triggers. One thing I will say is I don't like not being thanked for the things I do. Yes. That's a massive That's thing. a family thing. I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. we're both in that yeah, boat. yeah. <laughs> I don't like arrogant people or people that don't thank people for what they've done. That's what I can't stand. If I've put myself out, I've had so many years of putting myself out for people and not being thanked for yes. what I've done. I think people pleases me maybe yeah. when we get in recovery, maybe that's one of our yes. Yeah. I'm almost over appreciative of people. Because I, I enjoy same, it. Yeah. Same. 
but I don't want people to come down, bend down at my knees and, no, and pray for all, me. Like, just a simple thank you, mate. That's all yes. I'm after. Yeah. That's all I'm after. A bit of thanks for what I've done for you. Do you know mm. what I mean? And I do appreciate it when people do say thanks. Mm. It's a massive thing for me. And then conversely, what positive tools and methods outside of your black book yeah. have you used to improve your mental health or help you feel better? Which ones have worked and which ones that have not, but you've tried them? Definitely slowing down on the drinking drugs. Yep, massive, that would be uh, that'd, be, that'd be a big thing. <laughs> Definitely doing the little bit of sobriety that I've done the two months. Mm -hmm. Definitely looking to do some more of that next year. That's been a massive help just to try and get my brain a bit bit clearer, mm -hmm. eliminate the brain fog. And just learning that you haven't got to get twisted up every time you go out. Mm. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You haven't got a big drinking and getting on it and all that mm. to have a good night. Do you know what I mean? I went out with a few of the boys last night just for, a, for something to eat. We had a few beers, chilled and went home. It's fine. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like... I was always the last one out. I was always wanting to go to the afters. I was always looking for the afters, planning the afters. Where can mm. we go? You don't need to be that person all the time. I've taught myself that over mm. the last sort of, I'd say the last 12 months really. And my next question is, I know you don't read a lot of books, but you do listen to a lot of audio books. So I'm yep. going to say, what has been the best book, or as I call it, mental health Bible you've read for your mental health? Now it can be mental health or self-help related. It doesn't exclusively have to be. And if you can't think of a book, TV show, album, any piece of popular culture. I read Mike Tyson's autobiography. Oh, yeah? Front to back. And that's interesting. I've done it when I was travelling a few years back. and that Very was, complex that was, that, man, Mike yeah, Tyson. Yeah, 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 yeah. And has a lot of traits that I had. So that's why, mm. I, that's why I used it. The addiction and everything like that. And the anger issues. Oh, I never thought about the fact that Mike Tyson may have ADHD. But it would make sense if he did. <laughs> yeah, and, and also the addiction and also the yes. anger issues as well. Yes. That was an eye-opener for me. Like I said, I don't really read that many books. I would like... That is another thing on my list. I would like to start reading more. I've Have just you watched a TV show biopic about him? No. You should. It's good. I've, it's recently just, I've recently just got into podcasts and I'm now just fascinated. That's why you've been listening to mine. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm literally just, just listen to that yeah. one again. <laughs> so I'm literally fascinated now. Just oh, you've got 294 episodes to go back to. That's then, it. Mate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I'll, I'll send you the playlist for ADHD. You can just yeah, listen yeah, to Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just listen to all them, yeah. <laughs> so I just feel like I'm not even watching TV anymore, mate. I just watch mm, podcasts. I don't, I don't watch a lot of TV. Yeah. I watch like a TV show or YouTube show, then I stream it onto my TV. And I'm but not massive a lot of that. with documentaries and yep. all stuff like that. I'm, I'm a sponge. I love absorbing. Mm. I love taking on new knowledge and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I love giving knowledge back. Like, I mm -hmm. love like not educating people, but like, oh, did you know this and this? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like that. And mm -hmm. I'm a sponge, man. I love to absorb sometimes useless knowledge, but sometimes, <laughs> so do I. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> factual stuff as well. So... If there was a mantra in life that yeah. summed up your mental health or you, what would it be and why? God, that's an odd one, man. Any quote or phrase or lyric or saying that has meant a lot? A couple that I've always gone by. This is nothing to do with mental health or anything like that. No, go on. Pay cheap, pay twice. Okay, interesting. That's where I think the family differs because I'm always about paying or, cheap. <laughs> or pay peanuts, get monkeys. Right, okay. Both mean the same thing. Yeah, I can see why. Yeah, I can see that. They don't, they don't mean the same thing, but they're linked. Yes. I've always been a person that's been embarrassed about how much I've spent on something. I'm not a show-off. I'm not a person that brags about what yeah. I've spent. I'm not a person that goes, oh, this cost me this. Like, yeah. I'm embarrassed about what I spend on things because I overspend. Right. Another trait of ADHD. I was going to say, was that, that sounds like a trait of ADHD. Yeah, yeah, but when I do something, I do it properly. Right. And I invest in the best stuff, the best equipment, the best knowledge, the best of everything. But not because I'm a show-off or I want to be seen as that person. Mm -hmm. I don't tell no one. I'm embarrassed. I wanted to ice skate one year, so I bought a pair of ice skates. I spent 450 quid on a pair of ice skates. But I wouldn't tell no one. Whenever I was asking, oh, I was a wanna. 
100 quid, 50 quid on. I was, embar- <laughs> I was embarrassed. I got sucked in at the shop. They saw you got, coming. They see me coming, mate. Yeah, they saw you From coming. a mile off. Ah, oh, mate, you want these Megatron ones? These are not. <laughs> these are going to help you skate. Yeah, you give a damn fucking backflips on these things. You thought like. you were going to be Torville yeah, and Yeah, mate. Oh, and I just... A funny story, that. I went out three times, fell over, cracked me at bone and didn't skate again. <laughs> <laughs> so then they've sat under my bed for the last year and a half. Jesus. If but, that is an encapsulation of ADHD. Exactly, no exactly that, mate. I just one day woke up and went, oh, I want to ice skate again. So I skated when I was a kid. I was like, I want to ice skate again. Went out, done four and a half hundred quid on ice skates. More than three times, I don't more since. <laughs> just an ADHD trait there again, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But I'm that type of person. I, I was so embarrassed of what I had spent on things. I just keep quiet about it all. I don't like telling people, oh, someone goes, how much does that cost? I lie and tell them that it cost less than it did because I feel embarrassed. It's a big thing for me, that as well. I do, okay. struggle, I do struggle with that. So shame. Shame mm. on wanting the best. Right. Does that make you should sense? Feel, you shouldn't feel shame of it. I know, I know, but I do. And I, struggle, I still struggle with that. And I've got like a running joke. My mates will go, oh, really Joey love that. Because I've, <laughs> I've just got everything. Like everything that you may need for a party, if you want, like whatever you want, just ring me and I've probably got it laying about somewhere. Because Your dressing up box must yeah, be Yeah, whatever, thing, whatever, whatever. Oh, you want to borrow a pair of ice skates? Oh, you want to borrow a motorbike? Whatever you want, mate. Just come and get it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it is like that with me. And everyone, exactly. British Joe, he's like, there was always a guy in your area, anything for 40 quid. Yeah, yeah, literally, mate. <laughs> literally. <laughs> a new Volkswagen, 40 quid. I could get you whatever you want. 50 pounds in cash, yeah. 40 quid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can get you whatever you want, mate. Like, it's one of them ones, do you know what oh, I mean? Oh, my God. All right, I've got two questions left. The first one is, what do you love about yourself? How passionate I am about stuff. How passionate I am about certain topics. How passionate I am about the hobbies that I do. And just that I do give a lot to people. I do. Mm, I've started to to accept that now. Before, I never used to think I did because it was always the people pleasing. But I've actually realised now I do do a lot. I do do a lot. I do do a lot. And you almost do too much sometimes. And I I do do. No, I do do too much for people. I know that. But. You're getting better at that. I am. Only recently, mate. The last few months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like literally the last few months, I've really started to take a a backseat on doing So prioritising who you do what you want for. And also, it's detriment to my own mental health doing these. Like I was saying, about spreading yourself too thin. Mm. You can't give people 100% of yourself if you're giving yourself to eight different people. It just doesn't work. If you're taking on six or seven different projects, you're not going to be able to get these projects highest over, quality of work but, yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. get these projects over the line where they need to be over the line by what dates they need to be done by and, and as we've spoken about you, if you give some people an inch they'll take a mile 100% and I've had that before mate and it, it just I can't allow that to keep on happening to me and as a final question mate this is another broad one you can answer it any way you want yeah. what more do you think we have to do to ensure men from all backgrounds all social classes all walks of life feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health issues or just their general mental health if most importantly, they want to do it. So, friendship's a massive thing for me, man. I've always had a big friendship group. I've always had a good friendship group. Solid geezers that you can rely on and trust. But no. Are they emotionally intelligent as well? Because no. I, well, no. okay. So not, they always have to be, but so, yeah. Some of them are, but mm-hmm. some of them aren't. You know, you've got your, your mates that you can rely on for going to speak to. You've got your yes. mates that you can rely on. If something goes wrong, they're task, to kick a ball off with you. A lot of lads have got to figure that out. Because sometimes you go to someone and you think, oh, they don't give you the right response. And you might go, oh, am I going to view them differently? You've got yeah. to learn that they just haven't got they haven't a skill got that, set. 100%. Like I say, you've got your groups of mates. You've got your mates that you can rely on to go and speak to if you're feeling down and whatever. Yeah. You've got your mates that you can go out and party with. And escapism. escapism. Yeah, yeah. You've got your mates that, you know, you ride or die mates. If you yes. need to go kick someone's door off, they're coming with you, no questions <laughs> asked. You've got or family members. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got your family, which is your tight-knit family. Mm-hmm. And also, like I say, you've just got them different groups. But 
I would say friendship's a massive thing for me. Trusting the person that you're speaking to, that you know mm. they're not going to go and speak about your shit to anybody else. Yes. Or judge you for it. Judge or, you for yeah, it. Yeah. That's why, obviously, therapy's a good thing. But suicide has run in my family. And a friend of mine and a friend of my business partner's Javi's good, very good friend of his took his own life Boxing Day a couple of years ago. Wow, at twenty nine. Jesus, yeah, and that hit us all hard, man. We was, was, that, was he in your social group? Was he, in social he group? wasn't in my social group. Okay. He was in my business partners. Right, his business so, partners got you. Yeah, and obviously, but I still had a good. Yeah, sure, sure. And my dad was actually one of the last people to see him on the building Christ. site just before Christmas. I had a chat with him and that, and he, my dad said to me, "You know, I'm just feeling a little bit down the other day." I was like, yeah, I said, like, I don't know what's really going on there. Like, but he wasn't a good enough friend of mine that I could reach into that mm. circle. I felt a little bit, you know. Would have been out of place. Maybe. Yeah, from yeah. coming from me anyway, yeah, it would have been yeah. out of place. Uh, but yeah, tragically, man, he, uh, he took his own life. Boxing Day, I think it was. Christ. Yeah. God, I mean, I don't end on a really sad note. Sad so, note, yeah, but, let's, let's but, talk something of course, else. Yeah, yeah but... But like I say, is, yeah, you've... Well, you talk about reached in there. I always talk about the importance of reaching in, not telling lads, just reach out. Yeah, you've got to go in as well. Yep. You've got to go in as well, 100%. And yeah, mate, just getting some good, solid friends around you, man. I know but it's a hard one because not everybody has a good group of friends. Yeah. And, it's, and it is hard, man. Especially as you get older. Especially I've... lads, mate. I mean, yeah. girls... Produ- I mean, the statistics are mad in how, you know, as we get older, girls have stereotypically got a much stronger social circle. Uh, normally a larger Larger as well, social, yeah. Social lads circle. have maybe got now three or four they can rely on. Yeah, yeah, but that's it's enough, that. mate. That's that. And that's sometimes a privilege. That's, you know what I mean? Mate, what I've always said is if you've got one, you're still winning. Yes. Because you've got that one person you can go to, look, listen, mate, I am seriously down. I'm in a bad place. I need help. Do you know what mm. I mean? As long as you've got one person that you can do that to, and if you haven't, therapy, man. Mm. Like, I literally swear by it. Have you found through being more open now, obviously you, this may increase after this podcast has come yeah. out, people have started coming to you more? Um, no. Okay. No, I haven't. No. But to be fair, I never went to other people. Sure. So maybe that was that's because of that reason. Mm-hmm. People maybe think that they... You know, this podcast could come out and the phone could start ringing, but you don't know. But <laughs> I'll be like, sorry, Joe, yeah, yeah, yeah. calls now. Yeah, but I used therapy as my way of sure. speaking. I never spoke to my friends as such. Mm-hmm. I did when I was going through the, the, my really dark patch, I did open up, but therapy for me was the light at the end yes. of the tunnel type thing. Okay. But yeah, having a good group of friends around you, just to even be able to bring your mat and say, mate, do you fancy going for a curry? Even if you ain't talking about your mental health. Even yeah, yeah. Chat just about take whatever. the pressure off. Yeah, Go yeah, and yeah, escape. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, but yeah, I am an advocate for therapy, man. It really did help me. Mm. It really did. Just being able to offload, man. Cars, it's been an absolute pleasure Most to have you on has, behind the decks. Thank you so much for coming on the Just Checking In podcast and thank, talking to you, Thank mate. you for having me, mate. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's all we've got time for on this episode of Behind the Decks. I want to say a big thank you to my cousin Joe for being my special guest on this episode and letting me go Behind the Decks with him. You'll be able to catch Joe and Tommy perform as part of Social Groove at the next Just Checking In Live show and I'll put their social media links in the show notes if you wish to book them for your next event. As always, thank you to all the venters who've tuned in. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, I'll sign us off by saying, please give this podcast a share on your social media channels. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it. If you're feeling generous, write us a review and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Or you can support our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk. Or you can go to our link tree, that's linktr.ee slash venthelpuk. Stay tuned for the next episode of Behind the Decks. And remember, guys... It is always okay to vent. Mm-hmm.